Today's guest on Go Time on the Go Time podcast is Clint Haverty, the one and only, the original. <laughs> so this one is a treat for me. Um, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of successful guys in the reining horse industry, and I think reining horse trainers are some of the best, you know, horse trainers uh, there are out there. Um, but um, not all have the same, you know, ethics, integrity. And, um, and, you know, kind of a authentic cowboy quality to, to their lives. And, uh, Clint is, um, the last of, of some of those breeds of men. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately in our times. Um, and there's so much history to gain from a guy like Clint, um, uh, you know, that just kind of reflects our country and reflects, you know, what, what it is to be, you know, a cowboy, a horseman, mm-hmm. and um, genuinely, you know, in that, um, even r- the rough parts around the edges <laughs> yeah. that we kind of have. But, uh, and, you know, and, and for those of you who don't know who Clint Haverty is, for one, shame on you. <laughs> but for two, um, for two, he's, uh, I-, I could list all the accolades that Clint has won, um, and it would probably take up Mr. Or the podcast. Um, he's won everything that there is to win. And the Appaloosas and the Paints. Um, he's a, a legend in the in the reining horse industry. Um, his name is tied to greats like Colonel Smoking Gun or Gunner, and um, he's had his hands in in many from those that he's ridden to the ones that he's bred to uh, to his mark on even the trainers in the industry that has come through his program. Um, some of the guys that are on the top of the world right now and reigning um, came out of his program. Um, so he's had influence, you know, throughout the industry from top to bottom. Um, and I'm one of those guys that was influenced by him. It just, it was a pretty inspiring guy. Um, we're going to have to split this thing up into two because <laughs> there's so much and such a long conversation, but it was, man, there's so much, I don't know what in the world I would cut out of this. I might even leave the bas- bathroom breaks in <laughs> because it's, it's that, uh, it's that interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I wish that we had a video of it. Yeah. I, uh, like you said to me, he was like the quintessential cowboy. And, uh, what I, what I enjoyed talking to him about was his transition and his, his upbringing in cowboy culture and being a rancher and then convert uh, going over to the show pen and, how he did that. And I think that's kind of being lost, you know, these days is people are either, you know, growing up in that and they like to stay in that or they, they, you know, they enjoy the show pen a lot more. And he sort of, uh, he kind of went between the two worlds and, and did that with his leather work too, making working cowboy gear after he sort of retired from showing. So, yeah, I think, uh, and taking it to an extreme on that. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. His, yeah. His leather work, man, if you folks have not seen his leather work, it's, it's just as inspiring as his horsemanship. Yep. So, um, so, um, we really enjoyed this and, and it was a shame that we had to stop talking after three and a half hours or so. Um, but, uh, and I, 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 I want to go back up and whether we do a podcast or not, just to go and visit my friend. Um, so I really hope you guys enjoy this. I, 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 um, there's some really great history to this and, and whether it's, and being inspired in your business, being inspired in your life, or just everything in general to uh, to just the history of 
of what our culture is. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, and to see the competitiveness in a guy too, you know, not just that he had that, but man, he's competitive too, like really competitive. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Enjoy the episode. Yeah. Here we go. Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. The meeting place of industry leaders, elite athletes, and game-changing individuals from around the world. Here we explore the grit, guts, and mental fortitude required to succeed in business, competition, and life that you've been looking for. So stop looking and start listening. It's Go Time with Brendan O'Reilly and Todd Martin. And what, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, where it goes and where it takes us is really kind of all I really care about. But um, I was thinking about when we were driving up here and stuff about the first time, like where, where, like when did I, when I met you? When was the first time that I met you? Angelo. And Angelo? You know, the, I think, I don't know. I, you probably don't remember it because I was just a kid running around and trying to figure out how to show a horse. But for me, the one that I remember, and it was such a, uh, uh, imprint on me was we were at, uh, they had a little futurity. It was only run a couple of, for a couple of years, but they, it was called the governor's classic and it was done in Austin. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I remember going to it and that was first, one of the first bigger shows that I had gone to, I couldn't even tell you which horse I was riding at the time, but I remember getting ready to go in the pen. And, um, and I really didn't, I wasn't knowledgeable enough about the horse show deal to know who was who. So I didn't even know that like, you know, you from, you know, anybody, but we're in that warm up area outside of it and the pen's kind of small. And, um, and I remember, you know, everybody kind of loping around a little bit and all of a sudden you come like blowing through stopping one and then had this i swear it was like a buckskin it was a really good looking horse i'd never i just i guess i'd never taken notice but something that was that groomed that well taken care of and you made this little horse spin his head off from what i remember and the uh and it just was so big and so everything that um i sat there and 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 after you you know got yours ready tuned up and then went in there to go and show I commenced to pretty much sitting out there wrecking my horse <laughs> before I went to show. <laughs> and, and the thing that was really probably such a profound impact on me as a showman, right. Or as a, as a guy that wanted to show and, and wanted to be a good horse trainer was um, you pretty much didn't even know that I existed in the, in that warm up pen, but I got in my own head about getting ready to go and show changed my program right then and there and you you didn't i mentally screwed myself before i even went in the pen and whether you knowingly did that to everybody that was out in that pen i think when you left that pen everybody else went the same thing and wrecked their horses in the process too um i find that something really um 
was really an eye-opener for me going in the show pen as I went later on. Because I didn't do it as a kid. Um, I started, you know, I kind of was started showing probably when I was 30. Um, I didn't take my first riding lesson until I was 21. So I was such a behind the deal, you know, behind the eight ball when I got started on it, that I, I think I saw things from different a different perspective than a lot. And so the mental game was always something really fascinating to me. And to see that with you, how mentally you get, and we didn't, you know, like we may have had mentors or whatever, but that was something that you, it wasn't really taught or talked about as much. Um, you kind of had to figure that out. And it was the guys that, that pushed harder, that persevered through stuff that, um, that, 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 you know, didn't let things break one loss, break them down or whatever else that pushed through and, and got further and further in the game. And I was wild to me how I set my eyes on at that show was kind of such a big thing for me because at that point I set my eyes on who I wanted to chase. Not so much like, it was like, yeah, part of it is like who I wanted to be too, as far as a trainer, what I wanted my horse to look like, the presentation and everything else. But it was like, that's, I kept my eyes on guys like you, you know, and, and it was always curious to me is like, so like, where did you get that? Like, did you, did you farm that yourself or did, was there a mentor and, and like even just where you even started at? Gosh, I started a long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot, lot to what you just said. Are we on? Yeah, yeah, we're on. Okay. There's a lot to what you just said and everything. Uh, you know, I've watched people too. I've had heroes. Yeah. And we've all had heroes. And, and uh, I started out at a very young age. Uh, in the rodeo world, roping and everything. And then I left and got into the show horses later on and everything. But I never forget a guy by the name of John Stutzman. And you never heard of him. But back then, they didn't have a Congress. They didn't have AQHA World Show. They just had the big fairs mm -hmm. uh, or big expos or whatever you want to call them. And he won Chicago International, I think, three times on three different horses in two events, cutting and reining. And he was a pretty darn good cowboy. He was just a cowboy, but he showed horses. And he's really good in cutting horses. But I never will forget, he wore a black hat. I wore a black hat. Hmm. He wore a white shirt. I wore a white shirt. He wore those Benedictine Tony Lama kangaroo boots. I wore those boots. He wore rock grinders. I wore rock grinders for about a week, and I took the damn thing off and threw them away. <laughs> I know we'll forget that. But anyhow, John was a, was a class act and everything. And, and J.T. Fisher was another one. Of course, Matlock. And uh, and I, I was very fortunate to work for a man by the name of Lewis Brooks out in Sweetwater, and he was a class act and and uh, writing cutters for him. And But all the people that I was around at that time they were the uh, they were the legends of the industry uh, at that time and and before that too they were the legends and and uh, every one of them was uh, uh, dressed nicely and took care of their business in, in a nice way and everything you know and I think that had a great impact on me and J T Fisher his horses he had hauled one or two he hauled Mr Holy Socks at that time and and. Uh, 
all of his horses, I mean, every time he showed, they, they looked like they just come out of the beauty parlor. I mean, they looked good. They didn't They didn't look like some of these other guys' horses, like they came off the ranch, you know. Mm -hmm. He dang sure took care of his horses. Uh, Sam Wilson was another one that I really looked up to. His horses looked like they just came out of a grooming parlor also. And, and uh, it just, that, those, those guys made a big impression on me too. Uh, as did, of course, Bill Horn. Bill Horn is a really good friend of mine and we rode together quite a bit and everything. And we've had a lot of fun times and some of them I can't tell you about. <laughs> they were, they were all good times and he was, he was a really good guy in his own way. Yeah. I mean, I can't see enough my saying my horn. And, and Paul was a good guy too. He was a really good guy. And he lived down y'all's way there for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Paul lived down there in, uh, oh gosh, I don't remember where he lived at down there, but he was down there in Texas for six or eight years. And he came up here from time to time, huh. hang out or whatever. I guess when things got too hot down there, he had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> the guys that um, that trained, like, um, that I saw, but I saw them, like, after the big prime and, and whatever, um, that... Uh, there was a guy, um, oh, um, Bumble and forget his name. Um, I hope you can edit this. Yeah, I know I am. <laughs> I will edit this one. Um, Wayne Pooley was down there, um, and, uh, at, at, and towards right at the beginning, um, and, and I kind of got to know him a little bit. Um, oh, what is that? Parker? No, he did. Like, he was doing all around. He did the cutting and the and the. Uh, and he did some raining and he did. The there, is he there in San Marcos? New He's Marcos? right there in New Braunfels. Yeah, on the north side of New Braunfels. Yeah. Oh, for the life. Yeah, of Yeah, God dang it. He was a good guy. Yeah. Uh, just died a while ago. Five. Just years. yeah, just here not too long oh, ago. God, man, which hand brought him up? Where are you going? God dang, it. Lee Abel. Lee Abel. Yes. Yeah. So I. Go. Yeah. And she's able to get her kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lee Elbel. Lee Elbel, um, he, um, I'll, I, I rode for just a short bit for him. And, um, and he was a hoot. He started a lot of young trainers in that area. Mm hmm. And, uh, and I was at that time when he was in his heyday, I was ranching down in Beeville, Texas. Oh, wow. And, and I had a lot of country leased and everything, a lot of cattle turned out. And we rode, I rode a lot of apps. And I'd take those apps to those, the, uh, where they had some open range or something like that. And I get along pretty good. Appaloosa's paid for this ranch. I believe that. Appaloosa's paid for this ranch. At one time, I'd have 25, 30 Appaloosas here. How many, how, so how many world titles do you have in Appaloosa? I don't know. Lost count. Oh, yeah, you know, I have to go back and look at the pictures. Yeah. To see. But we have, over a hundred head, uh, over a hundred head of world champions come off this ranch. Oh my gosh! Between the paints, apps, and I even got one Arabian. Oh really? Yep. Yeah. And I had the highest score, and I don't know if it still is or not. Probably not. But at that time, it was the highest score that has ever been recorded in the Arabian National, the Arabian Nationals. Huh. And on a horse named Samples Gazelle, and it lasted. Somebody told me that. In fact, a guy from Australia mm. bought him or bought part of him. Okay. Real, real wealthy guy. Uh, Hoffman. What's her name? The woman with the name of Hoffman had Hoffman Mills. Marilyn Hoffman sold the horse to him. Okay. 
and she kept a partial interest in the horse. She was in the real estate business in Dallas, and her husband uh, worked in, uh, he was a gold speculator, I think it was. Okay. Anyhow, uh, it's a funny story about this horse could stop, god dang it, he, and he turned better than most Arabians. Most yeah. Arabians turn like they got a stick up their belly. Yeah. Because they, well, because they got a, a vertebra missing in their in their spine. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard for them to actually sit there and turn. And you have to get your bigger salt. No, just, <laughs> I think that'll get, I just wanted to make sure it was a little cushion. And, and, uh, I go go out there. I get Shane Dowdy. I hired Shane Dowdy. You know Shane? Mm, I no. He's a pleasure horse guy. Yeah, most gifted man in the world. Pleasure horse. Anyhow, uh, I hired him at Waco. We're down there at the App Show at Waco, and we had to get up yonder to Albuquerque. So I hired him there. He didn't have a driver's license. We drove up here. I, I hooked onto the end line, put that one horse in there. Said Shane, you're driving. He drove me all the way to Albuquerque. He didn't have a driver's license. Fifteen and a half years old. <laughs> <laughs> we get out there, and uh, you know they got that Bill Cody Arena there. I think it is mm -hmm. Joe Cody Arena, whatever it is they have there. That's outside where you can drive one up. And you can edit this if you want to, but I'm riding old. He's calling Casper, but he's white, you know, Casper. Yeah. And I'm galloping around out there, just riding him out there, knocking the little fresh off of him. And and uh, Shane's sitting up there in the stand, and Bleacher's up there, you know. And reckon here come these two guys come walking up there. They're friendly to him, talking to him, you know, kind of setting him up for what they're doing. He don't know it, just damn kid, 15 and a half, good-looking kid, really good-looking kid. So I see what's going on, and... Yeah, nothing's happening. Okay. So I get done and Shane takes him, goes sports him off for me and everything. And the next night they, they have they're big on having parties at the Arabian show. They'll have master chefs come in there and cook stuff for them. I mean, they'll spend thousands of dollars having these parties. Several. I bet they spent hundred thousand dollars a night between all of them having parties and have cooks who who can hire the better cook and who can have the most <laughs> stuff. And so is what I did with Shane is that night, and I didn't I was pretty green about it too, you know, but I understood what was going on. I knew how to handle it without getting in trouble. I just put my spurs down a hole where they dragged the dirt a little bit and I just took Shane around with me all over the around and there's probably stalls from here to the bunkhouse and, and it's all parties and feet and I just took Shane around and I just prayed him around arm in arm. I Heel on his shoulders and everything, my spurs and dragging in the dirt. <laughs> Needless to say, they left Shane alone. <laughs> and I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> it's a little different clientele base. <laughs> different different oh, it was a different work, you know. Yeah. And, and I didn't fit too good into that deal. I had to figure something out. That was smart. I like it. It's like a tactical. So, Clint, how. How did you get in? Were you born into the horse game or like ranching? Did you come from a ranching family or how did you even start being around horses? We ranched. Uh -huh. uh, Daddy Daddy worked on the ROs on, in southern Arizona, the division, Colonel Green's company, and his granddaughter owned it now or owned it and they sold it to a, a 
big deal that it's a, it's a park now and everything. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, he worked on that ranch back in the early 40s. He ranched. Uh, they run a lot of cat cattle. Him and my, my granddad run a lot of cattle up there in Flint Hills in Kansas. Okay. And and uh, and the cattle business here during those times was a lot different than it is now. Back then we had screw worms, mm -hmm. and you you've heard of them yeah. and everything. And so the cowboys in South Texas, parts of Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and on across into Southern California. These, you know what screwworm is? Mm -hmm. They, they're, they're a fly, a blowfly would lay her eggs, say in a calf that was just born around the umbilical cord, mm -hmm. and and uh, the eggs would hatch out into worms, and the worms go up into the horse, into the calf belly, and eat the calf up pretty much, mm -hmm. and then they'd hatch out, and you got another set of flies, yeah, and or in, in a wound on a horse or a wound, wound on a person, yeah. And uh, or a cow, if a cow got hooked or something like that. Uh, and back then, there's a lot of horned cattle, uh, more horned cattle than there were muleys. Mm -hmm. And muleys were were uh, a rarity mm -hmm. back then. And back then, we didn't have the the approach of civilization, towns growing, yeah. uh, uh, houses being built, and they had a lot of coyotes and some wolves. Where I come from, there in Sarah, Southern Arizona, some wolves, some old lobos there. And and so the cows needed their horns to protect their calves and to fight off the coyotes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And anyhow, when you have those calves that that were full of worms, you had to rope them, you had to doctor them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. Uh, and Daddy used to leave a horse tied up for me out there at that cattle yard number three. Mm -hmm. And I get off school monster and get on that horse and prowl through that pasture. And I was 12, 10, 12, 13 years old. And I'd prowl through that pasture and I might find something that needed a doctor and I might, I might not see anything needed a doctor. Mm -hmm. But we looked at everything about every third day or something like wow. that. So it was a lot of traveling horseback. Yeah, a lot of And, and uh, we team roped a lot there. And, and team roping back then, we tied the knot. And that is the header, it is all hard and fast. And we'd rope the steer, the header would rope the steer, the heater would heal the steer, and then ride off the other way instead of stopping and down in, they'd ride off the other way and create a V. The steer would be here in this V and whenever whenever the ropes tightened up, it just knocked the steer down, he'd roll and the header, in the meantime, his horse was taken off yeah. and the header was on the ground. And whenever the steer stopped, he'd lay on that steer and tie a square knot around the hind legs oh. below the hawk. And we used to do stuff like that when we'd catch wild cattle, yeah, just like they do in Australia. They, they put a belt around the hind yeah. legs we would put, we'd put the rope around the yeah, okay. and tie that. And they couldn't travel. They might travel. Yeah. They get ways. up on the front, but they can't really move off yeah. and come back and get them later. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. And anyhow, it was a time event. And it was it was pretty dang cowboy. You know, it took a really good horse and a stout horse too, you know. Mm. And and uh, that, we used to do that. Every Sunday, we'd go rope somewhere. And so, yeah, I grew up kind of in a rodeo. Mm. Then I rode racehorses when I was a kid. I thought 12, 13, 14, 15. I couldn't get a license until I was 16. And when I got turned 16, I weighed too much. <laughs> so that my jockey career ended right there. But at, anyhow, I grew up in the horse world there at home in southern Arizona, uh, not far from the Mexican border, wow. east of Nogales. You look at the map, east of Nogales, 20 miles. Huh. Where I raised that. Little town called Patagonia. 
and we're in high desert. And uh, I think the elevation there was 30, 3,600 foot or something like that. Yeah. And we're up to the high in a valley. And it's really, you know, when, when it's dry, it's dry. But whenever it's green, it's gorgeous. And mm. we, uh, my, my house, my dad's house that, that I grew up in was right there on the creek, on the Sonoya Creek. And a lot of cottonwood trees, and, and about half the time they'd be running water in that creek bed. The other half time is dry. Hmm. And then the water would start down there a half mile below the house, it'd start. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool living there. You know, looking back, uh, I was very fortunate to grow up in that time. And, and uh, my daddy employed uh, probably about 15 or 20 people in that little town. So he was a he was the main employer at that time. After he got out ranching, he he bought a, a hardware store, he built a hardware store, bought a gas station, and had a mechanic shop, a lumber yard, sold dynamite to the miners. A lot of mining around there. The prospectors come in there and prove their claim. Yeah. Hell, he sold dynamite to them. Huh. Yeah. And uh, he just he was an entrepreneur. Sounds like a real uh, sold cement. He had cotton seed cake there for the ranchers. They'd come in there and buy whatever they needed for a cattle, you know. It was, it was, he, he was a businessman. Huh. And uh, you think that's where you got your idea of, you know, being on an entrepreneur and, and the horses, like, you know, not going and getting a regular, you know, nine to five job, but it just didn't even make sense to yeah, do I think like I was too lazy to get a nine to five job. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't made for a nine to five job either. That's too short of hours. <laughs> I worked for man for six or seven years there uh, on the east side of St. Louis there on the Illinois side. And he's a horse trader, the largest horse trader in the United States. And I worked for him and I, I, I knew every horse on that place, could tell you it's breeding. I knew how they rode. I knew what they were, the whole deal. And he'd keep anywhere from 500 to 800 head of horse on that ranch at any one time. Hmm. And he had over 100 stalls. And of course, I started out there as a as a grunt, and uh, I worked my way up. If, if people would get tired of working there and quit, well, I worked my way up, <laughs> and uh, and I, I learned how to how to uh, how to benefit from my mistakes. I guess is one because I made a lot of mistakes. Oh. You know, when you're training horses, you make mistakes. Yes, you do. And uh, you don't want to make mistakes, but you do. And and uh, <laughs> but but I, I I rode a lot of good horses. And I rode a lot of Charlotte. I rode a lot of Bronx. And uh, I might have out there one of those pins. I might have three or four horses tarped out there. That we lay them down and tie them up, tie them down, and then throw a tarp over and come back in the morning, go back to them that evening and ride them. Some of those things are pretty damn juicy. Mm. And uh, that's how I get them ready to go to horse sale. And and uh, uh, I'm not saying that that I was a great trainer by any means, but I learned how to get around a rank horse. Yeah. And and. Uh, I think kid. that's I, we don't see that much anymore no. in the young trainers. Thank they goodness. all riding such good horses. It was bred bred so much of that out of them. Yeah, and uh, you know there, there's still some of that in them, but these kids today don't know what a rank horse is. No, they don't. No, and thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. So, but in in your experience and coming from that life that you came from and having to learn that stuff, do you think it's a shame? I mean, it's it's obviously a positive in that it's been bred out and the horse stocks are getting better in that sense, but do you think it's a shame that that knowledge might be getting lost? Of how to, oh, yeah. How, how to oh, do yeah. that? Because one, well, like I'm really passionate about uh, just the old traditions of guys that 
that could get those things done. It was more of like, uh, if you didn't have the time, you had to just get it done now. You knew how to get it done now. And I would hate to see that be lost. And do you think that's getting lost these days? Well, you know, uh, I'm glad that we're breeding better horses. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've bred a lot of mares over the years and, mm -hmm. and I've, I've tried not to breed a bad mare mm -hmm. to a good horse. I mean, I just, I've always discouraged that. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, even breeding good horses, you'll still get one that, that, that's still in rank. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had them here, uh, that, that I've bred out of merit. That's out of mares that I've owned and by one of my studs or, or by my stud and out of somebody else's mare. We've had some rank horses in here, but I strive not to, mm -hmm. I try not to. And, Rank horses are one reason why I'm wore out. Mm. You know, they <laughs> my back, my neck's wore out, my back's just plumb wore out, my right knee's wore out. Mm. You know, I'm just wore out. Mm. You got arthritis everywhere you think of. Yeah. I'm heading that direction sometimes, I think. Yeah. He's going to give me a bigger sock. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to pad my microphone and Clint sees my struggle. <laughs> perfect um so something that i i noticed in in my career um when i started um i started out with a, a guy that um he just took everything in what we weren't selective we you know if somebody brought us something in, and so i got to show you know apps and paints and you know, if somebody's, if you brought me a horse or you brought him a horse and, you know, you said, I want to do this with it. He'd say, okay. And he just made it. And I, I think that that hurt me and it helped me some, it hurt me because, um, as I got going along with it, I got the misconception in my head that I could make anything do it. And so I would push harder and longer than I probably should have on a lot. If I was wanting to make a really nice horse, and I should have started with a better horse than what I had. But I think some people saw the tenacity and the work ethic and everything else and then invested in me with the better horses when they saw what I could do with a lesser horse. But I I found that like there was times where I got so far along with a horse that maybe wasn't super, super talented, but I got that horse further than anybody else would have gotten it and gave it more opportunity. And as a as a result, gave it a lot of longevity. That horse wasn't going to go to the kill pen anytime soon. And he was going to be somebody's good horse for you know a long time because I put the effort and the time into it. Um, so it was kind of like a, but it, I felt like it made me more of a trainer, not just, you know, take a good horse and make it good. No, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with you. And also you say that they brought you a horse and you took everything in. Hell, you had to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I had to. That's about feeding the family. <laughs> yeah making a truck payment or whatever. But, but, uh, those days are, I think are gone. Yeah. There's very few people that can take and make a chip horse out of a salad. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and uh, that, that saying has been said for, by many, many people over the years. And because we're breeding better horses, uh, the opportunity is not there for a person to gut up and, and, and take a rank horse and make a better horse. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's certain bloodlines that, and I won't, I won't name them here, but there are certain bloodlines that, that are really good horses. There are certain bloodlines, some of these horses are pretty rank. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And and in our circles, the reigning horse circle, mm-hmm. there's very few people that take that rank horse and wait on him because we're so futurity oriented. Yes, which I think is a fallacy in its own way. Yeah, and and um, there was a great thing about it because it made us all push so much harder. But then there was a drawback to it because it made us all push harder. <laughs> you know, well, it's what. Is what the minds I got a horse out there by Gunner and I, a pretty whiz, pretty does. He's seven years old, oh. never been shown. Really? And he will be showing next year sound. Oh, not to worry about a thing. Man. And, and, uh, there's many horses. We've kept a lot of vets in business. Yeah, we have. And, and myself personally, we missed an opportunity this last year. Instead of having a three-year-old futurity like they did, have a four-year-old futurity and a five-year-old derby. Well, that was, you know, I never thought about missed, that. Missed opportunity. That is a really NRHA. Huh. And and I understand why they don't. I was sure. on the board for like 25 years or yeah. But for the benefit of our industry, we should have done that. And could have create, given the opportunity to create something new. Yes. I was. Yes. A, you're right. That is a yes. completely a missed opportunity. Yeah. That's very true. And and uh, it may not ever happen. We may not yeah. have that opportunity again. One good thing that I have seen here lately is that, that now that the derbies include the seven-year-old year, and that's nice to give mm-hmm. some longevity. It's a, it's a step in the right direction to give some longevity to some of these show horses. Yeah, you know, and of course, I don't show anymore and everything, but but uh, the thing the thing that I've seen – is you can cut this out if you want to, <laughs> but the thing that I see is a cruelty that I've seen going on at the at at, at in the middle of the night at the Derby in Futurity. Yeah, you know, and I, and I have that, to admit, let me, to... let me say this: let me the excess training that cut the excess training that I've seen at the Futurity and Derbies. Yeah, and I'll have to admit, I I've been a part of that. You know, at times and I've stuff. I've been a part of it. Sure. And I'll fess up to that. Yeah. But not to the extent that they're doing now. Mm-hmm. I see horses. I, I hope. I hope. I was always smart enough to feel when that horse told me that's all, that was all he had to give me. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get off and put him up. And my training procedures here at the ranch on a colt, I'd look them around. They're tired, you know, and I'd say, well, they may stop, they may not, but I'd stop them kind of, you know. We often put them up. You do that for 10 days and they're stopping, they're dragging their ass and they mm-hmm. get to go back to the barn. Yep. I mean, that's a pretty simple little deal. Yeah. And and uh, I built on that. And and uh, to get my horses stopping big like I did. Whenever, and, and, and it might take 30 days. Well, it takes longer than that. But, you know, whenever your horse is really trying, you learn to get off of him, go put him up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how I that's how I did it, and and uh, I see kids today. These horses, name brand trainers too. Mm-hmm. These horses. I mean, I'd sit up there and stand. I'd see that horse. That horse be shouting. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. And that trainer to bang, jerk, and job on them. And man, it, I'd get up and I I did that one time at the futurity. They're getting kids were getting ready for pattern one, run in pattern, and of course all the big guns come out and ride in the middle of the night. And these kids here. I'm going to ride their work for somebody or whatever they did. And they were just, they were running in that and trying to stop their horse. That horse wouldn't stop. And of course, they've been fencing him all along. So that horse was taught to run to the end instead of stopping the middle. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so they they had their wires were all crossed. Yeah. And I saw those guys, there's probably eight or ten of them in there, destroyed their horses for the next day. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed them, like I did you that time. Yeah. And <laughs> and, and and I'm sorry, but it just happened. But it, yeah. those kids aren't taught to look for when that horse is given all they can. Yeah, you know, I think they they um I I look back at my career on stuff and and at that at that early age, you know, at that eight, my 30s and stuff um and a good portion of my 40s too. Um there was I, you know, I felt like I was I more was doing it for the wrong reason, trying to hit and and get to a certain level and show at a certain level and and prove myself and all those kind of things. And, and now I, I really, I, it took me a bit, it took kind of a rock to my, to my world to make me realize like, why in the world did you start doing this? And then like, Oh, that's because I really like riding horses, you know, and, and taking that time. I, you know, I sometimes I used to complain about like um, the, it's the push from the, from the client. I, you know, nobody needed to push me. I, I pushed myself. I, Somebody that's yeah, do the clients too. Though. Yeah, yeah. And my own self, you know, perception of what they wanted and what I was trying to do and where I was going with things. Um, but yeah, you know, and and that environment, you know, kind of manifests it too, yeah. right? You know, it just kind of, you know, it takes a guy like me who's trying really hard and gets me to even like try my craziness, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I do like I do like where I'm at now. I like it a whole lot. I like myself a whole lot better as far as that. I think my horses like me a lot better now too. <laughs> There's a lot of horses that I have to go. I should really should like to go back and apologize to. That's for sure. That's, that's, that's a horse trainer and all of us. Mm -hmm. And thank them. Like, you know, go back and apologize, but also thank them for like the knowledge that I got out of that. It's really, you know, it's such a cool thing that the, the, you know, God's created in the horse and like to, like as much as a dog will forgive you for whatever dumb thing you do, you know, the horse, man, boy, it can be forgiving too. Some, some not, maybe not as some, much. Some a little more than others. Yeah, some a little yeah. more than others. And the ones that really do, you know, that were good and forgave me, they like, they helped me become the trainer that, you know, I became. I think, I think, uh, talking about this, I think, uh, really, when I turned about 40 or 45, yeah, somewhere along in there. Uh, I wish that I was 20. Oh, me too. You know what I know knew then? Oh, I do too. And now I wish I was 40 and know then what I know now. Uh, right? Because there's so much. Yeah. The older you get, the more you look back or the more you look ahead or the more you think of the present, what is going on. Yeah. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, the door... Uh, Tom and Bill Dorrance had a great influence on people out there in California, Nevada. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Ray Hunt had another, he was another one that had a big influence. He put on a circus show, but it was a great circus show. And and if you looked a little deeper in this deal, then you you gleaned a lot of information yeah. from him. You know, if you get it, I mean, you probably looked at his videos and all that, but I've looked at some of them, but I've thought so much about it about how they interact with their animals and how it carries over into their everyday life. They're very, very spiritual people. Yeah. And it carried over into their everyday life. 
and and I know once I started thinking more or less along their lines, it really helped on how I dealt with my horses and animals and people too. Yeah, I um, I we were just talking about this this morning about you know kind of the you know your spiritual walk or your spiritual journey and stuff and and it's uh it it was a kind of a a big thing for me whenever I realized that that um you know you you can read you know scripture and and you know and and oftentimes if you read scripture and and like me and and not the smartest sharpest tack there is but you know i would read that and and i wouldn't know how to like verify it or wouldn't know how to look at it and how should i read that and how should i look that and and it was at the point that i realized that you know the same one who wrote the scripture and inspired the scripture was the same one who created the horse and all the things around us. Mm -hmm. And if they don't line up, you're probably misinterpreting the scripture and, and um, because it's just as revelatory or or revealing of the creator as the scripture that he's writing about. And we have, we had such an opportunity getting to ride the horse that it revealed so much about myself that those horses, you know, really did, do like great things and showing me and revealing to me what, you know, what truth was, what important things, what things were important and all that kind of stuff. And, and put up with me for a long time yeah. <laughs> until I did find it, you know? Um, but you're right. Like just thinking about, I don't, I wouldn't want the silliness of the, of me in my twenties. Cause I was not, you know, <laughs> I was pretty silly, but, um, but boy, to be yeah, able you to, made me in silly, but I was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I always that's say, the boy you say you rotten little Aberdy. <laughs> you know, like for for me, hearing you guys talk about the showing and how much you've shown, it's uh, and, and like I, I was talking to Todd about this in the last couple of days about my journey with horses because it's been more a lot more. I've rode them working a lot more than competing showing, and 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 I know the little bit that I've actually competed in an arena. I find myself getting uh, like a bit annoyed and want to train on them and okay, tomorrow I'm going to do this and this to get this better. And then I go do a day's work on my horse, like actually working, doing a job. And I, and I, then at the end of the day, I go, I'm, I'm just really grateful for that horse because it got us both home and it got us through the day at work. And, and it puts it in perspective for me that, uh, that, they're trying they're trying like a good horse is going to be trying all the time and and sometimes for me like that good like a day of work really reminds me of that rather than uh when i've competed on her i can be and it's usually my it's always my fault that i'm doing something wrong and and it comes out through the horse and uh and for me the reset like to bring me back to ground zero and reset if i go do some work it just makes me be grateful for the opportunity that they they're what they're helping me do a day's work and then bringing me home you know safe so i it it's interesting hearing how grateful you guys are now after all that about you know like it's that same sort of feeling of Hmm. of going full circle and and uh and realizing like just how blessed we are that to have the opportunity that they even try at all for us yeah you know no i understand i understand yeah and and you know, uh, some of the best horses that I had, have had in the past, were horses I used a lot. Mm. And like when we were down there in South Texas, there I'm like I'd leave the house there, at three four o'clock in the morning with a trade load of show horses going to work, 
work cattle. Yeah. yeah. And we get back from the beer joint at 11, 12 o'clock that night and get up and leave at 4 o'clock. We go to the Mexican beer joint down there around Beeville. Yeah. What, Bungie Humberson, you ever know Bungie Humberson? He's calf rover. And he, those Mexicans loved him. But we had more fun like that. In, and uh, But those horses, they were a very unique set of horses. Yeah. Uh, and they were all pleasure horses. And some of them were rainers, some of them were rope horses, just whatever, you know. But those horses loved just going out. Mm -hmm. And the pressure was off of them, other yeah. than when we're in the pens, using yeah. short cattle or whatever. And, and uh, that set of horses, I, I never will forget them. Uh, they were the best set of show horses that we ever had. Yeah. Absolutely the best set. Yeah. Mm. And overall. Yeah. Overall. And we've had other great show horses. We've had some great show horses here. But that set, they, they were just so unique. Yeah, and hmm. and and if and and when you load up to go leave in the morning, uh, I had stalls that had plywood in the wintertime had plywood on the stall fronts on the doors, and there's a hole there about six or eight inches. You stick your hand in to undo a chain, you know, whatever. Hmm. And I had the horses would look at that that hole and nicker and they'd go with me if I didn't take them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. You yeah. Know? They wanted to go play. Yeah. And that was a play for them. That's it. Well, one of my buddies has an old stock horse that it's 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 like probably getting up near 30. And if he's going to work cattle, he still has to saddle it, put it in the truck. He takes it and he just ties it up to the yep. to the trailer and he goes. But he has to take it yep. to give it that sense of it's purpose. Value, you know? Know? And it's like, it's like us. Like we having a sense of purpose it's a life-changing thing mm. and uh the horses are even if they're if they've if they're a show horse just give them a small job to do it gives them it i think it's saying you're useful you know like and I, I value you for what you can do i say oftentimes too that it's the same thing for men like mm -hmm. retirement i don't know necessarily is a great thing <laughs> you know retirement means maybe like you slow down a little bit but man, having purpose is such good for the inside of a man. My daddy moved. When I, I, I rented stalls at the race. I rented a barn at the racetrack in Austin there at Manor Downs. I don't remember what, 78 or something like that. And and my daddy retired and come to Texas. And we were going to go back down to South Texas Ranch. We both said, ah, oh, no, let's just keep up here. And, and he sold everything in Arizona. Just sold everything. Mm. Come to live there. Him and his mother. My mother came out there, and and uh, he said, "I'm retired." Okay. And he had a horse. He'd come out and look at him or something. He'd sat there on the porch for I don't know three, four months, and he got sick and just didn't wasn't doing good, you know. And mother said, "Why don't you start start working your dad a little bit?" And I said, "All right." And so I got daddy to come to Pony Bronx for me, Pony Horses for me, because he had a big old gill and he roped on and everything, big old thing, you know, big old, he's my Bobby's Moon, a racehorse. And and this thing stood probably 16-2 or something like that, that big old step thing. And he ponied those things around for me there and and uh, he'd work about a half or three quarters of the day and he'd go home and then sit on his porch. And mama said, man, he's doing good. So then I started having daddy do some more stuff for me there. And so he'd work till six o'clock and then he'd go home. And that's how we, that's how he got well. Yeah. So retirement is not a good thing. No, I don't and, think so. And I know with me, uh, when Liz passed away in 14, uh, I was devastated. And, and, uh, but Liz said that I was very fortunate to have that shot. 
because I do a lot of knowledge kind of stuff. And and back then, that was my relief point when I'd get on, if I had a bad horse or a bad day or something, whatever it was, I'd go in the shop and I'd bang on leather and I may throw it away mm. and I may keep it and give it to chef, sell it. You know, I had a lot of horses. And, and that was my relief going to the shop. And I was really fortunate that I had that. And I know those horses thank thank me for that too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and, and so I've had a shop almost all my horse training career. I've had something to go back to where I could mm. relax and do something, you know, no pressure other than what I put myself in there. And and uh, and that's like now. Uh, if I were to just sit around the house or something like that, I wouldn't be worth two rotten eggs, mm -hmm. you know. But I go out there in the morning. I'm out there sometimes at six, sometimes at eight, and uh, depending upon the time of year. And I put in eight or ten hours, and I feel pretty good about myself. And it's very, for me, it's very self-rewarding. Yeah. And when you retire, uh, if you ever do retire, you better have something that's self-rewarding. Mm -hmm. And I get a kick out of doing this kind of stuff because that's a roll of leather. And I turn it into something like yeah. that, and, uh -huh. and that's all the reason I draw everything and all that, you know. And and uh, it's so self rewarding, and that's just like this raw hide. Mm. I got hides out there, and I cut everything up and do everything, and and uh, the process is just it's very relaxing, sir. It's very very rewarding. And I know this place is sold. We sold this place and everything. The other place I'll be building another shop up there. But I won't have to, I won't have the income strain that I have here. Mm -hmm. There's a drain here. Having any kind of a ranch or facility is a drain. Mm -hmm. You got to, you got to feed it. You got to have money coming in to feed it. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate that I have money coming in to feed this deal. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I get up there, I won't have that drain. It, 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 I'll be able to just say, I'm not taking orders this month. Yeah. I'll just yeah. maybe make one of these or. Or whatever I want to do, a quirk or whatever, you know, be kind of fun to be able to do something like yeah. that. Now I've got a stack of orders for this kind of stuff and I've got it, I've just I've got to do yeah. it, you know. Yeah. And uh but it's pressure, but I don't mind that pressure because I get rewarded when I turn something like that out. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does completely. Yeah, that's just I don't know, just it's good to have purpose in in your in your daily do. I I think that's what you know, when you get to a point where you can sit back and kind of set your pace a little bit more and whatever else, that's, you know, good. But it's also like having, you know, um, purpose, uh, something you got to do, some kind of little deadline that you kind of got to keep up. I think that's healthy for a man. I think it's definitely healthy for a man. It's really hard for a man that, you know, loses, especially when, you know, particularly as a horse trainer, I would imagine. Right. Is is that, you know, and there's there's tons of stuff to do around here. And not only you get tired, you get done with all your horses, man. You got tractors to work on and fence to work on. And, you know, your hours are, you know, not, you're not done. You're never done. You know, you constantly can work at it. But um, but nice to kind of sit back and have a little bit of space in your time. I know when we moved here, we had 14, 15, 16 stalls out there and it was open on the south side of that barn. And almost open on the north side, and then I built onto the north side and had five stalls in there, and I didn't know how hell I was going to pay for them. Daddy said, "Don't you worry about it. You'll handle it." And about two weeks later, they're filled up. Yeah. But but the 
I used to be horseback here at two. I get up at one and be horseback at two every morning. And all those boys that work for me, they they did Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Paul Linsky. I don't know if you remember Paul. Or not. Yeah, I remember Paul. On and on and on those kids would go, but but we'd ride 40, 50, 60 head horses a day like that. Wow. And and we worked our tails off. And I can think back, you know, and I still wake up at one o'clock and well, gotta get up. No, I don't. You go back to sleep, you know. Was I got a question on Casey. Was Casey as chatty patty kid as he was an adult? Was he what? Was he just as chatty patty as a kid? Does he was a joker and everything else as a kid as he was an adult now? I've got uh poems that he wrote. Oh really? Put up and everything, yeah. <laughs> oh he was Casey is one of the smartest people that's ever worked here. Yeah. And, and sometimes the dumbest. <laughs> Aren't we all? And, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never will forget. Uh, I can't tell you how they're bred, but or not. But they used to send them to me, and and we'd ride them, get them going for them. Of course, we weren't very kind to them because these horses you could not be too kind. To them. Yeah. And and we were good to them, but. but we were firm with him. And the deal was, if one of them need to be spanked or anything like that had to be done with them, I had to do it. Right. Casey could not do it. And Casey, Casey's a good hand. God dang, he's a good hand. And, and a good guy. Yeah. Good guy. I think so much of him. But anyhow, one day, we had, he had this yellow mare out there and he was riding her. I went back into the horse and I stopped and turned around and went back out of the barn and looked over there where he's riding. He looked around and didn't see me. I never forget that. But I'm the one that's supposed to be doing that. Yeah. And the reason why I set it up like that, that's how it is here. Yeah. If there's a horse going to be chastised, I am going to do it. Yeah. Because 90% of the time, when I get that horse needs to be chastised, everybody's cooled off. Yeah. And it didn't happen. Mm. And that horse is cooled off. There are the riders, rider, riders have cooled off. I get on that horse, bend him around, move hips around a little bit, and it's done. Mm. The, the problem's taken care of. And and everybody's forgot about it. You know what I'm saying? Give the opportunity for that break and the reset. Yeah. yeah. You, and that's, uh, who is it? I can't even remember who it was that told me this. Gosh. I've had it in my head for a long time, but it was always, you know, you get to that spot where you're, where you're going to do that. It was like, man, you need to take a whiskey break. <laughs> it was like, you know, it take a break. Horn. <laughs> yeah, it might have been. But it always kind of, by the time you got done sitting and thinking about it, you know, when you got back on, it kind of went away. My problem was actually thinking in the moment enough to get off and, and not, yeah. you know, keep pushing well, and pursuing. That's, youth. That, that's, yeah. that's really trying maybe too hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, uh, Given the false idea that I could make that happen, right? Yeah, you you know, my problem in the horse training, and, and Liz always said this, said, Haverty, you know too damn much. Yeah. You're a trainer's clinician. You're not a non-pro clinician. That's what she always said. Mm. And I try to give clinics to the non-pros, and they would go over their heads when I was trying to show them. And yeah, because I was always a black and white trainer, and the white was a good, and the black was not a good place to be. Yeah. And I learned early on to put a horse in binds, uh, reverse arcs, or driving up the ride, or doing something there to make them work a little harder, then release them into a maneuver. Whatever, yeah. whether you're loping a circle, whether you're changing the lead, 
whether you're turning around, whether you're stopping, it all comes from a bind of some sort in my deal. Mm-hmm. And and it's an easy bind. I mean, it's it can be tough. Some if they if they're tough, it's tough on them. If they're right. if they try to comply, it's easy on them. And they learn after a while not to be tough because they're they're, they're rewarded just right around the corner. They're right. out of it. And and even like in a turnaround, if they don't turn around to suit you, so what? Yeah. If they gave you a penny today, yeah. tomorrow they'll give you two pennies. In a week, you've got seven pennies. And they on and on and on the math goes. Yeah. And and they learn to do the maneuvers without any big deal going on, without you sitting there cramming on them or anything. And that's something that I uh, I, I learned in the middle 80s, I guess it was. And I just continually built on it. The more information I got that they gave me or that I saw somebody do something, I was very observant on how other people rode horses. And I knew that I went where I wanted their feet to be at. And I knew how to, I learned how to get their feet in the position that I wanted them, mm-hmm. specifically for the turnaround. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and in the stops and in the and in the circles too. I think that that was one benefit of having horses that um, I got my a decent share of of Appaloosa horses at the beginning, and um, and Excuse so, me, just a second. Yeah, when you started, when I started in South Texas, the Appaloosas were going to overtake AQHA in the number of registries that year. Really? Until they changed their president and got the solid colored rule put in. Really. And then there, and that's when the Appaloosa started going downhill in regards to registration because a lot of the old people quit. Uh-huh. And that's why now some of the apps are pretty solid colored. Yeah, a lot. Yep. Yeah. They about bred the color out of yeah, because just about. because a lot of them are quarter horse wannabes. You can't afford the quarter horse to compete at that high level, mm-hmm. so they went and got by an app. Yeah. And that's saying that. I probably should. That's not politically correct, but it is. I, I same have. way in the painting uh, deal. Yeah, they're a bunch of they. They want some. They saw the color of the horse, a barrel horse, just minimal white on him, so it looks like a quarter horse. Yeah, they got court. They think because they have quarter horse judges, that horse will place higher. Sometimes they do. A solid horse is easier to look at and judge than a horse with a lot of color. Yeah, that's a proven fact. Yeah, and I know when I was judging, uh, I had to really, really. Observe very closely, and look look around that white, mm. because that white is uh, draws your eye to it. Well, the white does, but it's hard to look at a horse that's got a lot more white confirmation wise than one that's solid color. Uh-huh. Like a halt horse deal. Yeah, it really is. Huh. Mm. Is it's it sort of broken. The color's broken. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to it's see hard. where the confirmation. Yeah, I had to really pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah, uh, judging them and everything, and and so where I didn't mess up. Yeah, and and the halter horse guys are are really big on having as solid color horse as possible. Yeah, okay, and that's one reason why. Huh. When I had those, when I had those apps early on, I found that the ones that I rode, um, teaching them to stop wasn't hard. You know, they had a lot of stop to them. Teaching them to turn was a whole different deal. Some of them were really kind of hard to teach and. I had uh, I had on some of those and having the ones that were difficult and but you know that's what you you were riding and what you did. Um, 
they really turned, those are the horses that taught me the step that was needed, where the foot placement was and how important it was because I had ones that really needed the extra effort because they weren't natural with it. And I think that was one of those, you know, man, I learned a lot in just those that, that took that extra effort, that extra time, that extra being really specific about where your foot is placed whenever you're doing it to create the best spin that I could because you couldn't just kind of rely on their athleticism to just naturally kind of pick that up. I, th I think those things, having those, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is having the ones that were, weren't naturals with it, you know, taught me to be a better trainer, you know. Back then too, a lot of the apps were not specifically, in the same way quarter horses, were not specifically bred for a certain event. Mm -mm. That A lot of them were mongrels. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them they bred just strictly for color. Yeah. You know, to get color so they get them registered. And with that being said, today, uh, I think uh, horses are, are bred to do a specific event almost all the time. Yeah. With a few exceptions, of course. But but uh, in, in the app deal, it's gotten also where people are breeding now more for a specific event, whether it's raining or pleasure or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, than, than they did in the past. I know in the past, if a horse had a long mane and tail, that son of a gun was raining. <laughs> Period. Like, like it or not. Out comes the bathing water, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, hmm. I can remember some horses that, my golly, just like you said earlier, we're gonna, the only one would be a raining horse. They were raining. They were raining. That's Period. what you, that owner said. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so um, when you, when you started showing a lot more and started competing a lot more and, and what, what, what gave you your motivation? What was your fire? What was, what was it that motivated you to kind of head that direction rather just than just ranching and, and, you know, doing a little bit of show horse, what, what clicked it over to make you want to pursue the show horse deal? Got hungry. Yeah. Makes <laughs> you paid decent, huh? Oh, I don't know. You know, uh, married to Liz, uh, she was really into the apps and the pleasure horse industry. She had some really great clients, yeah. really good clients. And so I just fell right in there and, and uh, uh, we just got to where we had a really good horse business going. Mm -hmm. And we thought we'd never see a, a hungry day. And we left South Texas down there specifically because it took a day to drive from there to Fort Worth. Yeah. You know, the same way in San Antonio. Yeah. And and uh, we decided uh, we migrated north. Actually migrated north till we found a place that we could afford to buy. Back then, interest was 18 and 20%. Wow. It was high. Whoa. And and we bought this place from Dubdale, gave them $80,000, gave them $33,000 and some change down. Every penny we had, damn near, except for about a hundred dollar bill, and we moved on this place January one of nineteen eighty, and we had uh, I don't know how I many we had a barn full of horses out there. Most of them were apps. Might have had one or two quarters. I had I had two quarters out there. I think had a son of Skip a Star that was a really good horse. I'd mm. love to have him today, and he's out of a daughter of the old man. Now you think I have this mongrel bred thing. <laughs> But th here's, this horse could stop the length of this room and turn, and I won a lot in Texas on him, 
in the reigning. I showed him the reigning fraternity. He was my first reigning fraternity horse at the Congress. I was green as a board up there at the Congress. And I wasted a really nice horse. Mm. And, and, uh, uh, but anyhow, getting back to the story, uh, we bought this place because of I 35 and 30 and 20. Yeah. Because that nice time we was going to Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Houston, Albuquerque, Jackson, Mississippi, Shreveport, Baton Rouge. We're right here in Kansas, up there in Salina, Kansas. Yeah. Uh, sometimes going up to uh, Nebraska and, of course, Denver. And so this right here was pretty much the central of everything. We were a day's drive from any place we wanted to be. Wow. With, and, and exception to Florida. Florida is 21, 22 hours to Ocala. Yeah. And same with Scottsdale. Scottsdale is about 16, 17 hours. But this is as central as you can get. And we bought this place, and, and this deck wasn't there. There's a concrete pad there, and, and uh, we sat out there in, in this one here. And we sat out, and there's a door, screen door here and a window here. And we sat out there one night after we bought this place, and I went to town. I bought a roll of bologna. A box of saltine crackers, some tortillas, uh, her a bottle of wine, and me a six-pack of curds and a gallon of milk. That blew the whole deal. We <laughs> sit out there and ate. And I said, honey, I might have been the last meal. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. And and we, we ate bologna the next day. The next day, we got a check-in. And I took her into town. And there used to be a house there that they made. A, it's called the Boston Tea Party not there anymore and they had lobster and we went there and i bought her a lobster <laughs> no we'll get that i thought we'd never see another poor day hell we're sitting there eating bologna <laughs> uh, but i know i mean that's just that's that's a good thing to go through yeah and cause too proud to call an owner say send us a check when broke yeah i wouldn't just let anybody know i was broke and i never have i've been broke yeah but nobody's ever known it you know um you never knew it no, not at all. Um, hey, I look back to the when that times that you know uh, when I kind of decided to go out and go you know hang my shingle and you know go for it. And when I hung mine and decided I was on a train for the public, I had never even been in the show pen. I had not, and uh, well, I didn't say I was a smart guy. <laughs> I just didn't know any better. And um, and I had a a really good looking young lady that told me. That I could do it, and it was like, well, they'll do that. My dog, I think I will. You know, I I hadn't. Um, I picked up a part time job loading trucks at night, and took on riding as you know any that I could ride. And if it was, if you paid me to ride a donkey, I'd ride a donkey. I didn't care. I just I ride whatever. I've ridden you. Heck yeah, I got quite a few. I had a few at the beginning, and um, and but that's what it was for me. Was the man. Uh, you know, I, my parents never were the type that told me I couldn't. They always said you could, whatever else, you know, go ahead. But, you know, I didn't see it or I didn't have that example or whatever else. But, boy, when when that that cute little girl named Tommy, she looked at me and says, just go do it. Oh, really? That's all it takes just to go and do it? Well, if it makes you happy, I'll do anything. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. that was like, that was my, my same deal is that, you know, believing in you and going like yeah go and do it that was like it was like life-changing you know um and then you know then i went out there and showed my first horse and was like just 
had a whiteout in my brain. <laughs> you know, what are you supposed to do? Like, oh, you know, froze up and roll back. And, and I'll never forget. It was actually my first show was in Beeville. In Beeville. Yep. Uh, yeah. And um, the little half wood stalls and stuff. Yeah. And um, and I went out there and I run one down and stopped. And, and it, mu- it must have been evident in my face to everybody around that I didn't know what in the heck to do next. <laughs> it was like, I had a blank look on my face and Kyle Schurig looks over and goes, roll back to the left. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Roll back and then went and finished my pattern. But, um, but yeah, and I think I had probably had 60 days, maybe 90 days of raining training on that horse. <laughs> didn't know a thing better, but you know, just when nobody told me I shouldn't. So yeah. I guess I'd figure out one way to learn. Yeah. I'm drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find a picture here. Uh, that uh well here's here's my first show horse. Oh <laughs> you know, it looks just like the little my daughter's little horse. I got her little pony. And That's if cool. you'll look if you'll look at my fingers, I've got my hand spread there. Do I have my hand yeah, spread? Too? Yeah. My sister painted the fingernails. <laughs> I can see it. I can too. Yeah, yeah I can tell. And, Looking good. And uh, I don't know what I was, four or five years old there, three years old, whatever I was. And I'm going to get a picture of my parents for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, going to be too good. How great is that, though? It's the same journey that all yeah. of us take, right? It's so, it's, and the circle like, that comes back like to that. Well, we talked about the full circle thing. I know. I'm like I'm like having convulsions in this. Place. Oh, it's it's all like, the braided stuff hanging on the walls. So all of you guys, if you can only imagine, I don't think there's like every six inches on the right around the ceiling is. There's oh, my that's first show horse. Oh wow! My first trophy <laughs> in 1955. Oh wow! What was, what was that horse's name? Calico. Calico. Now this <laughs> that was at cool. the oldest running AQHA show in the world. It's Noida, Arizona. Oh, really? And back then, a youth could show any horse. Oh, really? And you could even show a burro or a mule back then. Huh. And they changed that rule mm-hmm. sometime in there. I don't know. If they... But, uh, and this was called Youth Ranch Riding. Oh, really? That's what it's called. And so I won my first trophy. When mom and daddy left Arizona, mama called me and said, you want that trophy? I said, what trophy? The one you want at Snowden? No, I don't want I don't want I bet you would now. Oh, that is too good. You know, I see, I see a lot of that since the whole, you know, lockdown, pandemic, everything else has gone on this crazy, past crazy year. Um, the number of kids in our area that are that are riding or that are getting into riding has really grown. It's a good deal. Yes, it is a good deal. Like I think that's something that's been so neglected and so like. I think for the raining in particular, because that's our event, um, we look at that and, you know, having nothing for a kid really until they're 10. And once they're 10 and they're showing the short stirrups, like, mind you, the short stirrups is not an 
untrained, uneducated horse. Like it's absolutely ridiculous what these kids get to ride nowadays. And I, you know, and I'm part of that. I've got a 10 year old daughter that's horse crazy and I've had her a rainer and I'm trying to make it and get her in something as best I can and everything else. And you know what? I finally just went off and did and bought about six, seven months ago, a little paint pony. And she has the biggest blast blast with Scout. Good. You know, the, she's out there and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, let's let's do this. Let's do that. And you know what she wants to do? She wants her friend to come over and have a tea party with him and, you know, <laughs> tie him to the fence and go and do this. And she's, oh, I got her, I uh, had her made a, a really nice brand new saddle that she could do the raining in and everything else. I come back up and that thing is just kegged on mud all along the side. And she had turned him loose, thought it was funny in the arena to chase him around or whatever. And that little stinker run over, <laughs> over to the side of the arena and just laid down right in the mud, all right, on our brand new saddle and everything else. I was like, well, so today's the day you get to learn how to clean a saddle. <laughs> you know, yep, got to figure that out. And you got to, but I, that has been, that's been a really good lesson for me. That was, um, you know, that was my first deal was a little pony. And she just tried to, you know, run me off underneath every tree and brush, you know, bush and take me up into the fence and whatever else. And, um, I think kids, if they miss that, that if they uh, if a kid gets bought a real nice horse for their first horse, and they miss that like the the phase of having a just friend work, work things out with their yeah. friend who's a horse, you know, I think it's a gap in the the learning and uh, and what we were talking about before of having that gratitude for just a, a horse that will get you home at the end of right. the day. There's a I think a, a misconception in that too is that you know the two buying an untrained horse and let your kid and the untrained horse learn together which is not a good deal that's a recipe for disaster but you know in the era of your time you know parents had a lot more knowledge of horses they were a lot more of a using and they were still a part of your life not you know just a recreation but a lot of work and it wasn't so far removed for so many people to have some horsemanship skills, maybe not the greatest in the world, not having a level of what your dad had or whatever, but but still there was a knowledge there. And now, you know, you go into town, dad doesn't know the first thing about horses, mom doesn't really either. Well, you shouldn't buy something that doesn't know anything with your kid. But um, but having it managed now as a recreation deal, like getting a professional to be able to help you, it still can be done well and have that fun, but mm. take a little bit of that expectation of, you know, like, gosh, dang it, we got to go out and smack one out and win one right off the bat. Mm. Um, that was a learning thing for me. I really have, I've had to, and I guess me in the process of seeing that has been a, a, a really good thing because it's given me the opportunity to find that enjoyment back in, you know, in the ones that I'm riding too. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's been you know, I used to go to, you know, some people go to horse shows, horse shows every weekend. I used to go to a horse sale three times a month, three weekends out of the month. Wow. Have a semi-load, 22 head on a semi, and a couple of stock trailer, another 10 head on it. And I quit my first major horse sale that I went to, my last major horse sale that I went to, was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we just bought a bunch, of, that month we bought a bunch of horses off the Wagner. They had a ranch out there in uh, New Mexico and they sold it and we bought three semi-loads off of them. And this is the last batch. The first bunch were really great horses, good horses. 
The second ones were pretty good, but they'd buck a couple of them would buck, and they just weren't as trained up. Mm -hmm. And the third load was was big circle horses. I don't know if you know what a big circle horse is. Uh -uh. That's one that's just barely broke, damn sure will buck you off. And it, and out there in that country, you may have to travel 20 miles around the outside of that pasture to make a big circle around that outside of that pasture to get your, your job done. Because you throw yeah. everything to the middle of the pasture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Anyhow, the base circle horses, they weren't good horses. They were Bronx and whatever. But I was pretty good. Yeah. And I could pick a horse up by the hind leg. Here I weighed 140 pounds or 135 pounds. I could pick a horse up by the hind legs. And 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 I got and I had them also I learned I had a concrete, uh, we had a barber shop there to flip the horses mm -hmm. yeah. before I go to the horse or go to the horse sale. And I didn't clip them. We had a barber hard, but there's a concrete. Uh, it's all concrete there because of the mud and everything. Mm -hmm. noisy. And so what I do, I wet that concrete down, check head back, and run them around on that concrete. Wow, they'd flip and fall and buck and do all kinds of dumb stuff. After three or four days of it, they'd stand upright and lope around on the concrete. It was slick. I'd have their heads checked back. You know, I, I wouldn't uh -huh. check them back hard the first day. Right. But I, two or three days, they were going around there checked up and everything, you know. The wind buck, they'd, and they'd lope a circle in a sail ring for me. Oh, wow. I could lope circle, lope circle, do all kinds. I'd do all kinds of tricks. <laughs> and I could throw a saddle off that horse and get around there, walk around him, crawl underneath him, pick him up by his hind legs. I'd just go back there and get hold both hind legs, push him onto his front legs. Yeah. And he'd pick himself up. <laughs> this man come. I had this one thing that's pretty juicy. This man come walking up there, and he's bidding on this horse. He had a little three-year-old girl holding his hand. He's pointing there, and she's pointing and just laughing, and he's laughing. I said, "What are you doing bidding on this horse?" I stopped everything, and they were still bidding. You know, and I walked over there to the fence. I said, "What are you doing bidding on this horse?" He said, "Well, I'm going to buy that horse. This little girl, that horse, pretty horse. You can do so much with him like that, and I'm going to let them grow up together." Little learn. And I raised my hand. I said, Peel. And I sent him out. And sent the horse out. And Cletus got, the guy worked for Cletus Hall. And he got Barbara Holland. You know, you know, Barbara, uh, oh, she writes all that stuff in these magazines now. Oh. Barbara Schultz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's her daddy. And and uh, anyhow, uh, he got batter and hell at me. And I said, I just couldn't do that, Cletus. I wasn't going to do that. Oh, he got mad. And I don't, we sold him to somebody. I don't know. And I left. I quit him like three or four days later or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, how many times have I done that? To somebody? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And boy, yeah. he got to eating on me. The more, and I just, I swore him to be damned. I would never go to horse sale and do that at a horse sale. Yeah. And you've seen me sell horses at a horse sale in Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah. Standing right there at the auction block. If I'm not standing there and it belongs to me, do not buy it. It's that simple. Mm. You know. Yeah. But it but there's and if it's branded with my brand on it, it's all right. If it if it just if it got any paper, it didn't have my brand on it, don't buy it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's um it's a hard deal, you know, because you're it's your business and, and you're wanting to make the money and stuff. And but yeah. you know, there comes a time, you know, when you're doing that that 
you know, and I, I've, I've done it too, right? Where I've had one and it's about like a hard decision to make. You, even for me, I wasn't doing any breeding or anything like that, but I would, you know, talk to a client. They had a limited funds. And so we go and try one. We go and I think I might be able to get something, might be able to work something out with that one. I get it. And you know what? I made the wrong decision, you yeah. know, and I got to go do something with it. And, you know, you're going to take a loss. You, you gambled on it same way as I gambled. We tried but we're going to take a loss and then not wanting to take that loss, you know, on the money. And I'm man, you know, like, then somebody else has got to sell it because I can't sell it and not represent what it is. And that's a hard one to bite off because it's, it is money, but at the same time, you know, not every horse is supposed to be a kid's horse. No. And, and there's uh and, and, you know, and I got to represent, there's my name that goes behind that thing. And then it's going to go along for a long time, you know? Yeah, that's a it's a hard decision to make because it's your it's income, too. Right. I mean, it well, definitely yeah. affects your income quick. Yeah, it does. And and, uh, and the horse business is a game of emotions. Yeah. And. Uh, we've made some bad decisions. I've made some bad decisions. Oh, yeah. And we didn't do it on purpose. No. And and. Uh, uh, and if we made a bad decision. Uh, we try to try to work it out uh, where we could rectify it some way, shape, form, or fashion. Best you can, and that we could. And I can remember one day here, and I don't remember how many trades Liz made, but within our barn, she traded like six head of horses. I'm just using a number. Here. Yeah, yeah. It might have been five, it might have been eight. I don't remember. Let's say six head. And she had this customer that could use this horse, this customer could use that horse. This horse's this customer's horse would would work on this. Anyhow, she did a trade. She got everybody on the telephone and said, here's what we're gonna do. And she, everybody agreed with her. And everybody traded and everybody's happy. And it was it was really a cool That's deal to watch. Cool. Yeah, it was a cool deal to watch. And how many times have you ever heard that story like that? Mm, never. No. Never. You know, that's um I, I I had a talk once with um, a very uh, very accomplished cutting horse trainer, and 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 she had done well. It, it, the, they had won tons, right? One of the you know one of the greats, and and we had a conversation on you know I think she was really focused on just the top horses, right? Which understand like that's what is her job, right? Um, but beyond that, had no other understanding of the value of it. And um, it was funny, the conversation of how, you know, she just didn't really have much of a use for anything, you know, of that because it didn't fit her agenda on it. But there is like there, the, you know, when people ask to, to value a horse, what, you know, what's this one worth? Well, if you're looking at it as an open horse, it's not that high, <laughs> right? But if you're looking at it as to, for your kid, like, man, that thing is golden. Well, you know, and just because the kid horse doesn't mean he's cheap. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I had a customer once ask me like, you know, well, so how do you come up with the price on that horse for my daughter? You know, we bought the other one for, you know, next to nothing and whatever. And I don't see you know, in what That's it's doing. Value. Yeah. I don't see where you come up with the number of that horse being that. And I, I real matter of fact, looked at her and said, well, what's that ambulance ride cost you the last time that other one knocked, you know, dumped your daughter off. What is it going to be the next time? Well, I mean, it's a whole lot different whenever it's not just the price of the ambulance ride, but 
all of the other stuff that comes along with it, you know? Yeah. When you look at it that way and how it's going to take care of your kid that way, like that thing was priceless. You're crazy to not buy that. You're priceless. You know? I bought, I bought, listen, I bought Zane the prettiest Palomino Pinto Pony Mm. that was a winner in the pleasure off of, oh, what's that girl's name? Damn it, she moved to Florida. Anyhow, a very well known judging trainer, if I remember down the name. Uh, and I don't remember now. We gave like 3500 or 5000 for this pony. Mm-hmm. A beautiful long man to tell, gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous. And and uh, we drove down to Dallas and got picked it up in the end line and come back. And oh, we're so proud of our little pony. And I come over here, and, and of course, nobody had cell phones back then and, and uh, in the 80s. And, and I had a suitcase for a cell phone. But anyhow, uh, uh, we thought Zane Gun just absolutely loved this pony. And he looked at her and he walked off and got his old hat mare that he's been riding on. <laughs> rough looking old thing. Her name is Rough. Mm-hmm. Little Rough, Little Rough Freckles or something like that. And anyhow, uh, he got on on that old mare and just went riding up his pasture. And Liz and I looked at each other and said, what in the hell are we going to do now? <laughs> that pony, and we get $3,500, whatever it was. Yeah. It was a lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money back then. And, and you got to buy something that kid will like. Yeah. Mm. And you better take that kid with you to see if that kid will like that horse. We you should have taken Zane. Zane, Zane's, Zane's pick and your pick are probably quite a bit different. <laughs> we learned we learned a hard lesson. I don't remember what did that. Great little pony, but I know that's one thing I learned about a kid horse. Take that kid with you, yeah, and don't just go buy it and bring it back. Say, Here, kid, yeah, Yeah. this is what I got for you, yeah. And it's tough these days, I notice, with like getting a kid's horse, you can't get because some people are so critical of every little thing that you can't always get. I remember one one time I was was showing this old ranch horse that was. It was just a solid broke horse, like the best kid's horse you could get. He was a bit stiff because he'd done ranch work for probably 16 years or something. And these people were looking at it for their kid's first horse. And they they liked it a lot. And they said, oh, it's a bit, he's a little bit stiff, isn't he? Like, And I said, <laughs> yeah, but that's why he's good. It's because he's done yeah. everything. Well, go left. Going going down that hallway left and then another left, you're right there. Oh yeah, I was about to have to go too. But yeah, they uh I said, Yeah, it's cause he's done it. That's why he's so good. If you if you take off the the years and the work that made him so broke and quiet and good for a kid, he wouldn't be stiff, but he wouldn't also be that horse. He'd be too light, too responsive. Yeah, and that's it, because he was pretty he just yeah, for a kid's first horse he was the best, but that he was also he was a bit stiff, but that's the sort of the trade off. And and if they want, if that so, if people want to get a young horse that's you know uh, r- real responsive for their kid's first horse, it's not going to end well yeah. anyway. <laughs> no, I know that that uh, in in years past, at one point in time, I had a lot of kids uh, for the app nationals, and that mm-hmm. was a big youth show at one time. And one time I had seven or eight young girls around here that summer mm-hmm. getting them ready for the show and all that. And I took 22 head up to Oklahoma City mm-hmm. for the youth. That's a lot of goddamn horse. I didn't sleep for a week. Yeah. I just worked. I never did that again either. Yeah. But uh, that 
that group of kids taught me, and I had different levels of them from extremely accomplished showmen to just starting out. Mm. And and when I could after that, if I had a parent want to buy a kid a horse that was just starting out, and at that time I had I knew where there was a lot of horses at, and I could match a kid up pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I'd buy him a lesser horse, but I tell those people, now this horse is going to outgrow this horse. Mm. Hopefully in two years, mm. roughly two years. Mm. And we'll recycle that horse back down yeah. to another kid. And and uh, a girl, Shannon McCulloch, taught me that. Mm -hmm. uh, and she kept a line on all those old youth horses. Mm -hmm. And some of them must be 20 years old when she placed them with another kid just mm -hmm. right now. But that horse knew everything. Yeah. You know, just how to, how to you, drink water. He knew how to drink water in a strange horse. Room. Yeah. You know, just. They're just being there down there. Yeah. And yeah. to see the value in those horses, like, you know, and pricing a horse, what's that worth? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like a jillion dollars. Yeah. It and, is. and it made, I, I had one that I had, I had, it was a great non-pro horse. I mean, unbelievably good non-pro horse. And go looked, go left yeah. and left again. I got you. And um, I went and looked back at what that horse, what kind of income that horse himself, just that one, got me in the career of it. And I that I made like I don't know over the years like one hundred twenty thousand dollars income off that one horse. Like what he benefited me, and benefited all the the non pros that rode him. Like just really priceless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are several horses, and some uh, look at that horse that uh, Sandy Martin had, Michael's. Wife oh, had. yeah, that old thing. Oh, Wiggly, that, Wiggly was yeah, she called him. Oh, the great one in the middle, and and she showed him three or four or five years. Oh, I think and, even longer than that. Well, like, he was, was gosh, he lasted forever. Yeah, when he was on, his you could, he's hard to beat. Oh. He's off, of course, he's a rascal. Yeah, but, but boy, if he was on, holy smokes, that was a cool horse. Yeah. And it's and and I don't know if she's got another horse uh, again or not. I haven't uh, I haven't been horse show in several years. You know, I haven't seen them in at a show in quite a while. I hadn't seen Michael in what quite a while. I talk to him about every six months. He'll call me or I'll call him. I yeah. think about him the other day. I need to call Michael. I should call him too. I like him. He's a good guy. Yeah, none better. But see, and he lost his truck and trailer. Oh, and that fire! That fire. Yeah, and all those saddles and all. Oh, that. that yeah, he had a lot of really nice tack in there yeah. that lost. And I don't, he said, uh, I, and I had to write several letters for him about some saddle I made him and and the saddle, the song, I got Lasan to write a letter for him for the saddle and the song that yeah. he had there. And that Lasan saddle he had probably cost about 20000 new. Yeah. And I don't, he didn't give near that for him. But anyhow, uh, air, I think it knocked the air out of him. Yeah. I think it did. Huh. Then he lost it. He bought a mare off of me, a pretty good mare. Ball faced doctor Lady Mary. I think she's my gunner. She was nice too. And yeah, she's good, Mary. And I think he might have lost her too. Oh, really? But I don't know. Oh. You know, he was one that um boy, he got nervous before he'd show. He what? He'd get nervous before oh, he'd show. You, Holy you <laughs> Well, you know, and he told me he used to ride a lot of saddle bronx out in California. Mm -hmm. And he told me when he rode Bronx that he'd puke too. Oh, really? Here comes it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I said, hell, you're just lightning your load up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Michael Martin was, I, I really enjoyed talking with him at the shows. And and I remember when he would, he would, uh, I, don't, I guess, 
I, I met him a long time ago when I was first kind of coming up and getting getting in the futurities and stuff. And and he'd always had, you know, a couple with you. And and um, and I remember him. Uh, he I, I, I asked him, you know, like, so how, how do you. How does how does uh, Clint pick his and what he, what does he you know do to get him in Clint's you know string for his his futurity horses when it came time to you know get to the to you know down to the nut cutting on which one was going to make the deal and he says well I would tell all those kids when he would have like one or two or, or multiple horses here um, in training for the futurities he would tell those kids if that if that horse is mine that you're riding if it makes Clint string. I'm going to kick you back some extra. So he'd get those kids to ride extra and make sure that he got them going doing it because he'd like give them a little incentive on the side to make sure that his wasn't neglected and kind of, you know, up there in the front. So he'd give them a little bit of, you know, like you can get that one. If you get that, you can get that one into Clint string. You know, when it comes time for the futurities. I'll I'll kick you back a little extra. <laughs> if he'd have done that to me, he'd have him back in the string. He's paying the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Michael was Michael's a gem. He just uh, yeah. They don't make them like that anymore. No, and those are like some of the greatest clients, like the ones that you, you know, that were really in it. You know, and and, and you see the longevity in that client that they did. He did it really. You know, he's a competitive guy, competitive and in everything. Crazy. Yes, but still had the love for horses and the competition and understood it. And he's realistic. Yes. Yes. He's very realistic about the whole deal. Oh my gosh. That's such a difference too. When somebody's realistic about it and they understand that like doing it for the right reason. Right. I mean, we all want to win for the, for, 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 you know, I remember I had one time a, a client asked, you know, looks, well, you know, how do I know that, you know, you're going to do the hardest if somebody's got, you know, their own horse in there and 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 then they're they're showing mine that they're gonna you know show mine to the same level. It's like, man, if he's a true competitor, like he doesn't want to. He wants to be two first place. You <laughs> like, you think I'm gonna pull up on one? Like that's the craziest thing. I want to win everything. You know? Now, have you ever seen the video the runoff? No. It, it's uh, Bill and Paul Horn, and this is at the Congress. And Paul broke his leg. And back then, they used to have like three, three goals or two goals in the finals for the Open. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a one goal deal like they yeah. do now. This was, you had to earn your place. And this deal they got going now is a little different than what it was then. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, uh, Paul broke his leg before the finals. And I so heard of this. Bill rode both horses in the finals, and Paul's horse beat Bill's horse. Bill owned one, and Paul was riding it for another customer. I forget the horse's name now. I think Bill. I think Bill rode White. White is who is the mother of White Trash, and I don't remember Paul's horse. Anyhow, Bill rode both of them, and 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 Paul's he rode Paul's horse to win the class. And he come out and they, somebody's there, a reporter or something for the Rainer or whatever it was. And they said, well, how does it feel? And uh, what does it, hold on the question. They said something and, 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 and Bill said, what do you think I was going to do, chump my own brother? You know, <laughs> and it, it's on that video. And if you get a chance, I think you can pull it up on YouTube. The runoff, Bill 
porn. Huh. Try it and see. It's on I'll YouTube. have to look at it. I'll I bet it's it. on YouTube. You know, um, I think that's something that um, I think clients, a lot of clients, don't really get on the competitive type of mindset, right? That um, I when I go to compete, I want to win. I want to win completely. And, you know, sometimes. Across the board. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, my own desire and want to win is my problem because I override them. You know, it's not even if I showed that horse within its means instead of trying to show it to my means, that's a small spot. Right. And that's just running that line. And and it's even compounded even more on a young horse when you only had the opportunity to get it in the pen a few times. You just don't know that thing like you do your your derby horses or your your weekend show horses where you know you're running around the end, that thing's coming around and you gotta work and make him, you know, around with it. You know him so well, you know what he's gonna show like and stuff. Man, those young ones you just don't know. And that's a fine line you gotta ride, you know? And there's a lot of confidence you gotta ride with too, to give that horse, that young horse the confidence. Um, yeah, that's, yes, it's a, it's a funny deal. And, and, yeah. you know, but the customers that, that have, have, uh, the clients that have been there and done that, they're always the ones that, for me, that, 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 uh, I always enjoyed and yes. I've enjoyed some of the others too, of course, Sure, but, but, uh, they were always the easiest to manage because they, they, uh, they understood that you were managing them. Yeah. And and uh where some of the less knowledgeable customers uh they didn't want to be managed, they wanted to manage you. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work very good here. No, that doesn't. Not with a and it doesn't work really good with a guy who's got the mindset of wanting to win because you don't need to motivate me. You don't need to put pressure on me. I put enough pressure on myself to go and do that. And the people that try to buy their way into the deal. Oh, geez. We've all seen it. Yep. That don't work. You got to earn your way. Yep. You got to work your way up to it. That's, I think there's one of the hardest things about for reigning is that, you know, in, 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 in events like um, dressage, there's so many classes that come up and each, as you graduate up, add more maneuvers to it. And when you go into the green is grass, you got every element, the same pattern that the open rider does too. And there's such a huge learning curve that comes through big that. Time. Big yeah, time. really a big, a and, huge one. And they, they've got some other classes, I think now where render and, you know, maybe they ought to have a class, you look two circles, you stop and turn each direction or something. Yeah. Center, and that's it. Yeah, you got to have a good introductory place where you can feel like you're, you know, the only person that has one less maneuver is 10 and under, you know, that doesn't have a lead change on the short stirrups. Other than that, you're thrown into the fire with everybody. And I think we lose as Rainers, you know, it's a, I think it's a little bit, it's a bit more of an elite, you know, a a knowledge and ability to be able to train to the level, but, and just to train to it, not even to train to a high level of it. Um, that I think we forget, you know, beginning and starting out and where to, you know, and, and kind of, yeah, exactly. Like picture of you showing in your first a figure eight. What's a figure eight? Fifth <laughs> goal guy making eight. I, I, I can't count that high. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why the ranch horse competitions are. Bingo. That's why they're Save killing. QAJ. Yes, it is. Save them. I mean, save them. They are about to go completely under. And 
the ranch horse rider and horses. Yep. Lots of money. Lots. And and fun. You know, and, and, and of course, I was pretty, I didn't do a lot horse-wise there for two or three years. But it's unbelievable what they made. The ranch riding horses cost a lot of money. Those same horses would go into the road horse fields, mm-hmm. uh, rodeo field, team roping horse deal. And those horses are costing a hell of a lot of money. There, you can find a decent those. horse, <laughs> a decent head horse will cost you twenty five thousand. Yeah. E- easy, easy. That Unbelievable. Is, yes. I and mean, anything less to, is problems. Yeah, we're used to as uh, Martin McRainer or rope off. Yep. Okay. And five, ten thousand dollars, ten thousand if you're lucky. Yeah. Really lucky. Yeah. And, you get a hunt. Yeah. And and now. Zane Zane has a grave yielding turned out over here that's got EPM. They turned down a blank check and offered twenty five thousand for him. Then turned down a blank check for him. Wow! And and he's got another horse that he's riding. I don't know where he's at now. He's either here or other place over there. And and uh, same deal. I can get the same deal done on him. Hmm. And he's out of range, strictly rain and bred horses, you know. Wow! And. Uh, but he's a stout, so out of old sugar pop gun. You remember her? Yes, I do. Remember. I heard just as honorary as she was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I remember there's another time that I came out here um, that uh, was kind of an impressionable time for me as a trainer. Um, I came out to look at buying a horse, and um, and and I went and you rode it around and whatnot, and then you know had me hop on and try it out, and I rode it around and and. Uh, and I wasn't quite getting along with it as well as you were. And, and, uh, and, and I made, I said something about, you know, like, well, I, you know, I don't, you know, something I don't know or whatever. And your comment was, well, I, you know, I don't ride quite like you. I ride a little different than you. And, and, and I'm like, well, how's that? And, and you said, uh, well, you ride with your, your inside rain a lot more. And I ride with my outside rain. And I thought, you know, as a young, dumb, cocky, whatever, like, what are you talking about? I ride with my outside rain. And, um, and then I went and rode it around a little bit more and I thought, man, I am riding with my inside rain a whole lot more than I thought. And that was a, that was a change for me. That was one of those like aha moments where I'm going, oh, I'm like, so my, I'm not going to advance if I'm riding like a two-year-old Colt starter, you know, that there's something. And that was a big eye opener for me to realize that the two hands were to teach the one hand and not the two hands was the answer or two, you know, range was the answer. And the inside rain was to use to teach the outside rain. And there's gotta be a process to that. That really made me, it opened my eyes up to the next level of, of training. And it's funny looking back on that, probably something wouldn't remember no more than a man in the moon, but those I little don't remember, yeah. to be honest with you, but I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, that was yeah. a that was a big deal. I I think as a trainer, you're looking and you the little comments that you make, you know, you just never know where you make that impact and how it, you know, may change the trajectory of something. But that's kind of funny to look back and I don't, I don't remember, but and, and it's so true. We're 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 in the raining and they call it neck raining. We used to call it neck raining back in the old days before yeah. you ever started. Yeah. And and uh if you're out riding in pasture, working cattle, whatever, of course, you're in, if you're in Australia, you ride two-handed. Yeah, two-handed. Ride That's, yeah, this is a whole new world for me, having been around Todd and having to learn the, you know, like the one-handed 
the game it's yeah it's a it's a bit of a trip for me but it's pretty cool to learn but uh uh you know it's just how it is when you're out ranching and everything you know you're going around your horse around you know you're going your horse around if you're going to rope you don't you don't reach down to how you're going to rope something <laughs> yeah you know how you open a gate it's funny like our old our like more experienced stock horses by default because we're, we're using stock whips so we still ride one hand and they by default i guess learn to neck rein but it's just it's yeah but you got your hands like this yeah, middle, it's kind of like squaw reining yeah. i guess squaw reining, yeah. yeah and uh but it's it's funny that there's just not that process you know it hasn't been that process to to get it because it makes sense because we're still we're still having one hand so but, but we we've reining horse training a reining horse at a high level to me, it's the epitome of horse training. Yeah. I mean, it's none. Cutting horses don't ride like our horses do. Play your horses don't ride like our. I mean, on and on and on the story goes. Your rope horses don't ride like our horses. Now, people used to come here and buy horses off of me to go rope off of, to make rope horses out of because they're broke. Mm -hmm. People send Zane horses here to ride, Colts to ride, and medium aged horses to ride because you get some broke. Yeah. And people don't ride. Uh, like we ride to get them broke, mm. and 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 when a horse leaves here, used to when a horse leave here, you throw a bomb off under them. They were they were yeah. good, and they'd ride like they're supposed to ride. Yeah, and and uh, I don't care if they're glazed horse, rain horse, or cutter. I had cutting horses. Miss Vandal uh, was ninth of the cutting maturity with James Kenny on her. I trained her, and. Thinking back, you could have taken her to a pretty damn good rain and won a rain on her. Mm -hmm. And that was in 1980, 1991. Mm -hmm. James Kinney. So, so Clint, like one thing that I'm interested to hear your opinion on is... Uh, 1971. 1971, yeah. What uh, is uh, obviously you've done a lot of ranching, like and grew up doing that, and then were a, a great showman in in reining. And so, and what you were saying about the epitome of horsemanship and horse training is the reining horse. So if you had a if you had to train a horse to be a 
but but uh, seriously, uh, the less you have on a ranch horse, the better you are. Yeah. And that's why ranch horses. I don't have. I got. No, I don't have one in here. A lot of your ranch horses use a short shank curved bit. Yeah. It's not much brighter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, by our standards. Yeah. But it it it's it's a quiet bit, and, mm -hmm. and those horses just learn how to travel and. And yet, if you got them listening to your body, your feet, and whatever else, mm. they'll step up and come back to you and do whatever. Yeah. And and horses are creatures of habit, and you have to correct and teach those habits to those horses, mm. and they'll tune into you. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. No, yeah. I, 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 and that, they 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 know when they're out. Yeah. Traveling mm. in pasture and whatnot, or pushing cows, or driving a bunch of cows in the pen, or something. They know what you're doing. They're not dumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we think they're stupid, but they're pretty smart. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Huh. I, I, um, I've found that here lately that, you know, having a little more heavy on my hands, not necessarily heavy, but that they're not so behind or off of that bridle, but getting them on it a little bit more. I really like the spade bit and like learning how to ride with that and learning how to ride with the Romals of, you know, being able to drive them, not just to the bit, but past it and where they feel, but there's a heavy spot in between there. Into and through the bridle. Yeah. And then, and then without having that, you, you're not going to find straight in that body near what, you know, I ever did before having so much bend and flex and everything else. Um, but getting that part, making them so strong in their bodies, you know, being able to stop that much stronger because they're straighter and they're, and they're using yeah, their body. Right so much. Yeah. Yeah. That has been a lot of fun getting to that point. It's just, I love the part of never stopping learning. Like when you get to the, to the, uh, you know, like I've, I've probably misused the, the spade bit, <laughs> you know, more than as much as anybody else, but boy, I'm finding a, the, the using the spade bits is such a cool piece of equipment and understanding all the intricacies of it. Um, but you have, they have to, they have to get to that bit and go through that bit to find out how to get straight, you know? You know, I have a spade bit out there that I had a new set of shanks put on it. And this is a second set of shanks. And the shanks are about this long. And it's an old Visea spade. I don't, know, I don't even remember where I got the mouthpiece at. Somebody gave me the mouthpiece back 40, 50 years ago. And it had wire braces on it. And, and I had a bit maker, Brandon Anthony, take it, put new different shanks on it. And he put some of those copper ferrules on there instead of the wire. Yeah. And there's a lot more going on there. And it's what I use that bit for. I used to put it into two-year-old's mouth, three-year-old's mouth. I didn't care. And if they if those horses had a, a nervous mouth or they gapped a lot, I'd hang that spade down about a half inch below the corners of the mouth. And mm. They had to suck that heavy thing up. Yeah. And that shanks are, are short, they eat and they drink. I stick it on them at night. Yeah. And for three or four days, you know, take it off in the daytime. But yeah. their mouth rest, you know, you gotta yeah. use some common sense here. And then after about a week of it, not even a week of it, two or three, four days of it. They made a lot of difference in how they handled the bits. I I was telling uh, I don't know if I was telling you, Brandon, about that or or somebody else, but that that I would do something really not probably not this not the same bit, but uh but a similar type of bit that um I would hang that low in there and I'd leave it in there for quite a bit because it if you were you know you I can feel and be a lot more sensitive to things that you carry in your hand than necessarily something that's strapped to your hand. 
And instead of it being up in the mouth and too much, and but I'd drop it so that they had to, they'd play with it and mess with it. And after a bit, they pick that up and they, they start carrying it around. And then, then they're, they're, then when it's in their mouth and carrying it around, then they're going to be a lot more responsive to it to where they're, they're using it rather than they're just banging around or strapped to their mouth. I don't know if you remember or not, but you never probably, very seldom would you ever see me ride in the mouth shutter. Very seldom. And you know, I've gone away from using those quite a bit too. Because the because I'd stick that bridle bit on them uh-huh. and taught them how to pick up and hold and that hold bit that. and carry it. Huh. And I'd lunge them. And I'd do a deal. I used to do a deal <laughs> where I've got a post out there and I'd lunge them around that post and they'd be out there about 10 foot away from me. And 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 I'd have a bridle bit on them down low in their mouth. Not initially, but after about the second day. I put a bridle bit on them, or put that that uh, uh, spade bit on them with a leather curb, yeah. leather curb, yeah. run my rope through there, and we go around that post like that, and they learn how to lope around like they're supposed to, like I think they're supposed to, yeah, and pack their face and all that kind of stuff, and I haven't done a damn thing to them; they've done it all themselves, yeah, you know. He's creating that, um, um, giving them almost restricting them and making them find another way to be able to do it. Like find that release on their own. I'm not on. Take your time. Jerk and goblin or nothing. Yeah. And it may take me a a couple of weeks to get them where I want them. But those two weeks are worth six months right now. Oh my gosh, it is. Yes. To me. Yeah. Clint, did you have the, uh, like a rope from the bridle to the post? Like it was like a post. What I do is, is, uh, uh, I've got a rope that I run up through, if it's a snaffle bit, uh-huh. say, say a snaffle bit, yeah. I run up a curb strap mm-hmm. and around their neck and snap it into itself. Okay. And and I have a knot there so it won't choke the horse, it won't pull up and choke the horse. It stops the snap from going up choking the horse. Mm-hmm. And and I, I that post, I got two posts, one in the round pin, one there by the arena. And I just get them, lunging them around that post, what you're doing. And I just dally on that post and, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I dally the direction I'm going. Yeah. Because I'm I'm keeping my dally on that post and the horse and the horse going around unwinding it. Because mm. I'm walking with the horse. Yeah. And it's what happens is what I found for me is after some horses sooner than others, of course. But after about a week, that horse going around there and he's saddled up. And I've got his head checked back a little bit, about medium, mm. not real tight. I mean it's not, he's not loose, but he's sitting there, so his head's almost perpendicular mm-hmm. for me. I don't like when it's over bright, but mm-hmm. you know. And and that saddle, when that saddle horn is sticking straight up in the air, mm-hmm. you're doing something. Because that saddle horn straight up in there, that inside hind leg is coming in about a foot mm-hmm. in that circle. And I have a hard time riding a horse that hadn't been around the post. Yeah. I mean, I can ride him, you know, but yeah. it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. It just teaches them to stand up and balance themselves. Yeah. I believe in toolboxes. Mm. A horse has got to have a toolbox full of responses. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And if they don't know, if they don't have a toolbox, how? If 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 you're a mechanic and you don't have a toolbox to reach it, how the hell are you gonna do your job? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't. Cool. No. I'm a black and white trainer. I was yeah. a black and white trainer. It's always good to get one. You know, give, getting the opportunity and giving the horse the opportunity to learn what a framed up body position should be and not because you're juggling everything to get it there, but that they start to learn to be held accountable for that position. They got to think, excuse me. Just yeah. Go right ahead. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. 
that's real similar to what Clint was just. Uh... Clint, did you make? Did you braid these reactors? Oh, well, my dad did. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Wow. He braided all those back in. The... So he was he did braiding and everything as well. Wow. He made his stuff was mostly work equipment back in the. 40s and 50s, they didn't have nylon ropes. They had grass ropes yeah. uh, or riatas. Yeah. And in the Southwest, uh, they used a lot of riatas. Yeah. And due to the calf roping influence in Texas, most of those guys used grass ropes okay. in, the, in that time period. Yeah. And and uh, we used riatas at home because there was no nylon or poly. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, uh, that rope on the left is one I used when I was a kid. Yeah. And those other two, I don't think they were ever used much. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that's... Uh, and I got some over at Zane's house that my dad used, and they're about half worn out. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's, that's cool. In Australia, traditionally, like we don't rope a lot, but they we do bronco branding. I don't know if you have you ever seen bronco branding. They have, they put on a draft horse collar on the, on like a big heavy horse, like a, like a half draft horse, saddle horse. And uh, put a draft horse collar, and then have it have uh, like it strapped back to your saddle, so that it can, your saddle's not going to move. And then you have a green, what we call a green hide rope, which would be a really crude version of one of those, but but thick, like probably as thick as your thumb, and uh, tied off to your to your cinch like rigging, and then you would just rope one, and then just it's tethered off and then you just ride ride them to this a fence panel basically like this and you and you drop the rope in between the the gap there and so pull their head right up to the fence panel and swing them around against the fence panel and brand them standing up yeah so it's not get a little western knowing that there's a fella on a setup throwing that you can see how thick the rope is and he's got the draft horse collar on there yeah, he's, he's tied off. That's what happens when you make saddles and your horns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, there when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I'll be darned. <laughs> yeah, and so the the ropes used That's a, that. That rope's as big as my thumb. Yeah, and it, so it's a great, what we call green hide. So it'd be, you literally skimp like, uh, skin something, cut it into strips, tie it along a fence and let it dry out with the hair still on it even, and then just braid it up. With the you leave the hair on. Sometimes you can, yeah. Guys, do it. <laughs> Daddy used to used to take and we'd butcher, and then he'd take that hide and he'd cut it into a strip about an inch and a half, mm -hmm. strip it down like that, and then on the next Sunday, mm -hmm. him and the Mexicans would get out there with a case of beer and a pocket knife and they'd scrape that scrape hair the hair off. off. Scrape the hair. So they'd tie it along a fence to yep. tie it. Yeah. yeah. The next Sunday. They'd take and, and daddy would take and, and put it in a in water and then put it between burlap sacks. They didn't have okay. plastic back then. Put it between the wet burlap sacks and then do that on a Friday. And they made sure he turned the sacks because the water had to equalize. Okay. Huh. And I turned the sacks too. My plastic sacks, I turned. Yeah. And then that Sunday, they'd cut, bevel, and braid. A Riata. Wow. And 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 uh I don't remember now that first one on the left up there. I don't remember if they did it in one Sunday or two Sundays. Hmm. Uh but it's what they'll do is they'll start in the middle mm -hmm. 
and they'll braid out from the middle. Okay. And and uh, they'll have tamales on each. They'll have tamales, what they call the tamale. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of those tamales in there. And and they'll uh, they'll braid out. Mm-hmm. And so it, it basically two guys can work on one reactor. Oh, no, that's impressive. That's, that's smart. smart. So they didn't salt salt the hide or anything before. Oh yeah. They, so they well now, uh, I think they uh, no they cut them fresh and then just put them on the yeah. fence. Yeah, on the fence, yeah. Huh. They cut them fresh. And I was just hell. I was that big when they when that when that rope was made. I would. That's impressive how well they last for just to, you know. Like, well, yeah. Uh, and, and that one, I greased it, and I need to grease those other two. When, when we move, uh, just before we move, I'll grease those other two mm-hmm. and then coil them up nicely and everything. But I got two out there in the shop, that one that my daddy made, last one my dad made up there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, then another one that I bought off the guy. And, and uh, but there's a hell of a lot of work. I've never mm-hmm. made one. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of work in it, how they do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, and I've watched guys all over the world make them, mm. and and uh, but I've just never been that energetic. <laughs> I a lot of work goes into making yeah, them, yeah, and yeah. people don't realize the amount of work that goes into making one. Like this one right here, that's probably a five thousand dollar Vienna, yeah, and or more. And and uh, I don't know if that's an eight. Yeah, that's a that's an eight. Eight strand, yeah, and. Uh, Hmm. Okay, it's, uh, is that a four to an eight or six to an eight? It's a no. It's it's impressive. I really hope that the those traditions keep living on and being preserved. Well, this this guy here's our standard. What we call our standard. Okay. And there's guys like Pablo Lozano made these hobbles right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be the best breeder in the world. Yeah. Hmm. And 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 but this guy is our standard here in the United States. Yeah. And Jay Adcock. Is another standard. This guy here. Oh wow. Is very much you can see the difference. And I don't want to pick on my stuff. Boy. But she can see the difference between his stuff and my stuff. God, that is just incredible. This guy is better than this guy. That's hard to believe, you know, it's hard to believe that you can do something that works so, so fine and yeah. so hand. All those half mores hanging up on the end over there, those are all adcocks. Those hobbles up there are adcocks. That's incredible. It, he is. And this bolo tie, I mean, he sent that to me. I mean, he just, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. that's cool. Wow. <laughs> That's really beautiful work. It's here. It's incredible work. Not on a That is incredible. That's none better. Yeah. I don't know what you'd do to make it better. Beautiful. <laughs> It's just, and, the, and the amount of time that that's got to take, and then the amount of time. Oh, I mean, but see, it's oh. what people don't realize. They see this stuff here. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. All this thing. Well, this was on a cow. Oh, <laughs> alive. Yeah, I know. And then you harvest that cow and harvest the hide, and then you bring that cow back to life. Mm. 
Yeah. That mm-hmm. is what's so amazing to me. Yeah. And using every bit of it. Yeah. And then stand it. So, you know, something to be said about that, right? Is the difference um, in when I got, when I started training horses, and I say this, I, I tell this to, to young people and, and to uh, people that are wanting to like figure out what they want to do or the next step and what they want to do. And, and, and I equate training horses and doing reining to um, the difference between, you know, being a, a jeweler, I could make rings and I could make, you know, if I made little plastic rings or I could make a ring that was a James Avery ring, you know, that are a couple hundred dollars. Right. Um, I have to make a lot of those. So I'm doing quantity, right. It's not necessarily like a high quality of whatever. And, and, and so I can make a whole bunch of those in order to make a living. I got to replicate those. And it's more of, you know, making something cool, but it's kind of, you know, not a high end on it. And the difference between that and the high end where I make a ring and I sell that ring for, you know, 10, $20,000. It takes an eye to see and think about the amount of quality time and work. And it takes that same person that knows quality and work. Um, I wanted to train horses. I loved horses. But I also wanted to make, I didn't want to be just the average guy that trained a horse. I wanted to be one that was, that saw the, 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 uh, and, and, and had the desire to put that extra work that, that it took two years to get to where I was. And that's fast, right? I mean, that's like crazy fast. We're talking about, you know, doing five, six days a week on that horse to get it to that level of doing all of that as an end of its three-year-old year. Um, but and that was wonderful to learn, but then also to put that, you know, into it's about the fine work, yeah, right? Dedication. A lot yeah. of dedication. Yeah. And seeing the quality in the small things. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's really something well, else. Well, listen, I, I need to grease it too, Tim. No drop. Before I move, I'll grease everything. You know, I something that I I I I'm really glad that we got to come over and see and talk with you about and and I get to see is that all that all that work all that that guy that i knew and i saw you know as a young trainer coming up that put all that work into the fine work of the quality of that horse that you know that you would you know the, to where it was groomed and it was trained and you're prepared to show and all those things that you did and the way you presented yourself and your business and everything else that like you've it, you've taken and, and translated that into another part of your life. It's not something that like all of a sudden that dies and you're not, but that you you like your your leather work is just as uh, just as time con- or consuming. And I get to see you know the same things that in the qualities that I saw in your horses, I see in all of your leather work. That it's you know that time, the dedication, the seeing seeing that quality and and being able to um. How do I say it? You said it. You said it whenever we talked on the phone the other day that yeah, I can see your creative juices, you know, uh, in, in, and you're getting to still be able to, to use that part of your, of yourself in, in all the leather tooling. You're like, Gosh, I can see it in the leather tooling and all the self-satisfaction. Yeah. Well, and take it pride. And as I was say, and yeah. cowboy pride. Yes. That's the one thing that, uh, you know, you brought up earlier about, uh, showing your own horse against a customer's horse. There's a thing called cowboy pride in there. Oh, yeah. And I believe we're missing a lot of cowboy pride in our industry today. Mm. Everybody's so damn self-serving, but everybody's got a truck payment. Everybody's got a trailer payment. 
Boy. And that's that's what I think that we're we're uh, we've we've lost a lot of our cowboy pride. Oh, I I remember uh, Lee Elbel telling me that you know you just you just need to remember it's not a trailer show it's a horse show (laughs) and you know there isn't a lot of that it's almost like an embarrassment if you rolled up with an old ratty trailer but boy pull out that good horse now you see a lot more really fine trailers pulling up with a half-assed horse you know yeah and and it wasn't you know just it's good for us to realize it's a horse show it's the quality of that horse it's it's what we're looking for in those. That's what wins. You know, I've always wanted, and Zane and I both think like this. Now, I never have, but I've always wanted to pull up with a fraternity winner with a horse like Gunner in the back of one of them half top top trailer. Yeah, I know. Catch horse, catch oh, with, wouldn't that be I've great? I've always wanted to do so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got stock trailer. I might try it. <laughs> I swear. I, I'm going to tell you something. If I get this horse ready to go somewhere to a good raining, no. I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna take one of Zane's stock traders out there, and here I come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. No silver on my saddle. It's gonna be a little, little dust on. Oh. Boy, howdy! Wouldn't it? I mean, you know, I'm taking like you're not gonna leave dust on it. I know you're not gonna leave dust on your on your saddle, but. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but you know. It's going to be quality and everything. And it, oh, that was, you know, and even in a stock trailer, your stock trailer can still look good. But man, clean. yeah, it might but, be a little calcium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but boy, I tell you what, in that, you know, like that's what that was what drew me to raining. Right. Was the quality and the and the stock and the care and the, the finesse. Yeah. And 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 the the concern for good quality training. Um, I, I remember at that same show. Um, uh, Dr. Morgan was the judge. Dr. Jim Morgan was the judge. And I remember coming out afterwards and him coming out and, and me going up and asking him, you know, what did I do wrong in my, <laughs> in my run? And he just looked at me and I think really, he just didn't know where to start. <laughs> but he was like, you just don't like it. There's a lot there that you need to be it needs to be look it needs to look a lot better than that you know he didn't even know where to start about any of it except for the just the quality of the whole presentation wasn't there and um that was such an impactful show for me um starting out you know you, you ever know lanham riley uh-uh. you ever hear him Mm-mm. he's an old calf roper and he's he's kind of one of those old legends and he and i always got along good I, I don't think i've ever lost a horse show a glass to show him to him except one time. And he taught me a valuable lesson. And I had a I had a mare, a pleasure mare I was riding. Uh, I don't remember what to tell you. I think she's by the investor. And I wrote a lot of, you remember the investor? Mm-hmm. I wrote a ton. Jack used to come up here and I wrote a trailer on them and then it's leaving. But they, they couldn't get them riding. Yeah. And I could get them riding. I may have them tied down, but I get them riding. <laughs> and and uh, anyhow, I had this mare that belonged to a woman in Corpus Christi. I don't remember her name. I can see her, but I don't remember her name. And and her daughter, she had a kind of honey blonde daughter. Pretty girl. Nice people. And and uh, we were at uh, some little town. I, I don't remember if it was Bellevue. Yeah. It's down there by yeah. Redham, kind of. And, and uh Lana was judging in an outdoor pen. Back then, we didn't have any indoor pens to show in that many. We had outdoor pens yeah. back in the 
in the 70s, late 70s. And Liz said, go up and ask Lana what do you like about that marriage. I liked it. What do you have to like about it? So I said, Lana, you're not going to like me asking me if my wife did that. <laughs> what do you don't like about this marriage? And he looked at me and he said, you need new zip codes on this marriage. That's all he said. And I always remember that. In other words, get rid of her. Yeah. You need a, she needs a new zip code. And I've always equated that. Any of the others I hauled off this ranch. Yeah. If I if I didn't want them from this zip code, don't, don't leave them. I had a guy, uh, ironically, another roper, that told me if if my if my horse rode the way that one does, I'd tie him to your trailer and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, those those guys, uh, the Savage were the same way. I mean, those those old guys, they they were pretty blunt about it. Yeah, they were. And and. Uh, but you know what? That was the fastest way for me to learn. I was pretty dull myself. <laughs> it's probably I needed to be a blunt subject in my I head. Was a damn fool of myself back then. I wasn't being around. <laughs> well, Clint, I know you got to get going. Um, Man, I've really enjoyed this. I really have. Well, good. Yeah. Good. I'm happy for you. I mean, I enjoyed it too. And, yeah. I, and I hope I said something that you can use. Oh, I think there's quite a few gems in there for sure. Where, um, where will this be? Be uh... Uh, So our our podcast is called Go Time Podcast. The Go Time Podcast. I'll, I'm going to send you a link. I'll yeah, send, send you a link. Yeah, I'll send you a link. You can start listening. This is on the radio. On... Uh, it's on, um, it's on, there's, uh, app called Spotify that you can get yeah. over your phone and you can also get it on iTunes but I'll send you the link of a couple of different areas that you uh, you got others on there too yeah we've got others we've interviewed a, a couple of team ropers uh, we interviewed a jiu-jitsu guy by, by the way Brendan is um, actually had a, a career in the UFC in fighting in the uh, in the MMA fighting he's a black belt in jujitsu and has done all that, that guy is yeah he's that yeah. bad he's mean <laughs> his name was the badger, <laughs> the badger. <laughs> yeah yeah he had he had a nice career in the ufc and stuff and so we have a, and there's a crossover to it because i i really enjoy jujitsu also and so um but we have so much in common with all that and and in finding out and talking with people about um what you know what gives you that that you know, that edge in competition and what drove you to it and like finding out and like, you know, Liz was a part of, you know, that, that push and that want okay. to like move to the next part, but also that you find a quality in what you're doing and, and pride in it and stuff. And, and I think that, you know, honestly, the biggest part, I think that, that, and that we want to share in this is that, um, you know, that there's adversity that everybody's experienced and the kids nowadays are kind of given an idea that, um, they don't, they don't have to do that or they shouldn't have to suffer and go through. And man, we all did, you know, that is where we grow. That's what the failures I remember, like the back of my hand, the ones that I learned from that made me better. Those, that show, you know, where I, you know, wrecked myself and after watching you and whatever, those were like impactful things. It wasn't the win that got me, that made me better. It was the struggle and the strife and the, and, and me working through those deals that made me a better trainer, that the, the, the horses that were really hard made me a better trainer, educated me and made me the man that I am now. Did you ever get a participation trophy? Never. Never did he? <laughs> no, no. But I learned more from those ones where that I didn't win, you know? And, uh, 
and that's that's the that's the path of kind of you know of life of growing. It's it's a it's a it's a great deal. The struggle is where we learn. You know, Liz made a com- comment one time to me, and, and Liz was I wouldn't be here without Liz. Would not. Yeah. But she made the comment to me one time. She said, "You know, they beat you one time, but they won't beat you the second time." And and looking back, I mean, I I looked back back then. Yeah. And she was right. I mean, because I'd come home, I would get home from a horse show sometimes, and I'd go out there and ride that jewel around. I mean, I'd get home at midnight, and I'd get out there and load him, go ride that jewel around a little bit, and and get him ready for the next day. Yeah. And 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 if I did that. I'd have had a wreck somewhere, you know, and and not saying that I was right doing that, but that the next time that was yeah. to town, he was a different animal. Yeah, and you knew what you learned from that. Right? Oh, yeah. And you went to put the effort in, and that takes yeah. Christmas four. Have you ever heard of the mayor Christmas four? Huh? She was owned by the Sixers, Matlock woman. She she was a ah hell man, hell in heaven she bred. Anyhow, he went back to the house and rode her after the semis. He placed her low in the semis and went back to the house up in Gainesville and rode her on a cow that night. I don't know how many times he showed her a cow or what he did. I don't know what he did, but he went back on the country fraternity owner. Really? And, and you know, that's just kind of, that was my mindset. Yeah. You know, didn't work now, but by God, the next time we went to town, it was going to work. Boy. And I had to plot plan, and it didn't mean I go out there and, and thump jerk and jaw on them, but I had to figure out something, mm-hmm. whether I put them in a bind or move them around or move hips around or whatever. I, I went and got something a little extra. And you know, that's something that um, that your customers probably never saw. No. You know, that you didn't go and share with it, but that's that's the drive that it took. And you it knew is. that that pissing and moaning about it didn't do you any good, good. right? Not one bit, but boy, that drive. The cow, you know, I keep thinking back and we're sitting here talking and everything Mm -hmm. about this and that, about the youth today and everything. But, and we, you got to acknowledge cowboy pride. Yeah. Because when you're doing a job, when you're out in Australia in the the brush doing a job or whatever you're doing, there's nobody going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. You got to step up and do it yourself. Mm And and then when you get back to the house or you get talking to the old men and the stories are told about how you did this or did that and everything, and you're part of that story, and it's either a good story or a bad story, or they're going to make fun of you, or they're going to, sh- here in this country, they'll chaff you. You know what mm-hmm. chaffing you is? Yeah. Fair chaff. <laughs> but there's very little known about cowboy pride today. Mm-hmm. And that's I told you about me having the horse tied up by the cattle yard number three or six or eight or whatever it was. Right. I get off the school bus there. You, it's up to you to do it. There's no participation trophy given in a cowboy world. No. And if you watch the American on TV, mm. I challenge you to find somebody that didn't have their hand over their heart or their hat over their heart. Oh, man, wasn't that. Like, boy, that is. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah. I love that. Or the national finals. Right. You know. You bet, man. Cowboy pride in the cowboy world. You don't have the other stuff going on. Mm-mm. And it's earned. It's it's what you do when no one's looking. Exactly. That is it. And like it's John what... Wayne, like Don Wayne said, said, fear is doing is saddling up, doing it anyhow. Yeah. In spite of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. 
it's good. It's all good. Yep. And you know what? If it's not that we don't share these kind of things with, you know, guys with you that have had the experience and gone through that, kids nowadays aren't going to know that there is something better at the other end, that you got to take pride in yourself when no one's looking, not just because somebody's looking and just, you know, going around and shaking your hind end on TikTok is not going to be, you know, that's not the answer to, uh, you know, it's it, it, that's instant fame or whatever else, man, you want to earn that. Earning it is so valuable. I don't, I don't get that. The TikTok stuff and all that. I just don't get it. And, and uh, Miley Cyrus started all that crap mm. with the wrecking ball routine and mm. the stuff he did, you know, yeah. and, and personally, I find it extremely repulsive mm. yeah. and, and, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and sex makes the world go around. Sex and money make the world go around. That's it in a nutshell, pretty much. And, and you know, sex to me is very, very private. And money has been hard to make. Yeah. And you earn your money. And, and, and I appreciate what little I have. I truly yeah. do. Uh, but but people have got to, to me, people have got to get back to be a little more spiritual about their own life in general. And understand that there is life after death and understand that there is a plan and also understand that he wants you to earn everything you get mm-hmm. period. You know, um, I've said this, um, this before that the struggle that we go through, um, is the way, you know, uh, our good for our fathers, you know, we're good men and our fathers didn't keep us from struggling because that's where we learn. And our father in heaven is the same thing. He gives us the struggle. It's not a struggle because, oh, I should get. It's the struggle is where you learn. It's where it grows you. Never said it was going to be easy. Never did. Never did. And you know what? Reaching the top of anything was never easy. If it was, everybody would be there. That's right. Right? Oh, I... I, I think that that's, that's something wonderful to be able to show, share with people just to, to not just, you know, talk about all of your trophies. Cause we, I walked in the other room and stuff and I, there's enough bronze in there to, you know, have a huge water fountain out front, how many bronzes you've won, you know, and, and, and that's, this nonsense that's undeniable. The, the, I remember as a kid coming in here and seeing how many buckles you had, you know, all strung all over the place in here. Um, but that's not the important part. It's the lessons that you learn from all of that that is that needs to be shared, right? Well, you earn it. Yes. Nobody gives it to you. No, you weren't the guy that somebody went and handed it to you and gave you a silver platter. There was there was the extra time and work that nobody saw that after the show and after whatever else in between that you came in. and But you had pride in that. And, and that's what I love that. This is what I enjoy doing. This is why I'm doing this. I haven't got a clue if I'll ever make a dollar doing this deal. But man, I'm learn. I'm getting more out of it than anything else. That deal. This deal doesn't make you money. <laughs> it hadn't made me a dime yet. It's cost me a bunch of money. I'm buying wonder, stuff. I wonder, like Fapani does a lot of loans and everything. Uh-huh. And I wonder if he makes anything out of it. I think they eventually. I think eventually it would. You know, my purpose in this is because because I enjoy this. I it's a it's. It's stimulating for my brain, right? I want to continue to learn. I love the learning process and I love getting to talk to other people and, and, and learn that and grow from it, right? Do you still ride? Yeah, 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 sure. I, you that's ever how do I a make reverse living. arc on your horses in the turnaround? What's that? Do you ever do a reverse arc on your horses in the turnaround? Mm-hmm. And what do you do? Which way do you turn? Whenever, whenever I'm doing a reverse arc, I turn the opposite direction. 
And what rain do you pull? I don't pull my inside rain anymore. <laughs> not anymore. I, I may help them after they've got it wrong, but I don't. That's not what I lead with. I lead with a question, and then I can give them the answer if they don't answer the question. But um, but I don't lead with that inside rain anymore. And I've uh, I still I still ride. I, I really am finding a lot of enjoyment uh, coaching some of the young kids. Um, and if you'd have told me that five years ago that I was going to be coaching as many young little girls as I am right now, I'd have called you a fool. Yeah. I that's not where I thought I was going to go with this. This is you know I was a lot more self serving. I had another one to go win or whatever else. I really am finding purpose and love and joy in doing it. Let me ask you a question: Which leg is the most important in a turnaround? Which leg is the most important in the turnaround? The outside leg. Front or hind? On the horse. The 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 front the front. Where do you want it to go? I want it to step directly ninety degrees or a little behind. Good. Yeah, I want it to be. I'd like if I step it a little behind, back towards their to the inside, but but behind it a little bit rather than just ninety degrees. It gets a cleaner step for that outside foot, and but I don't want to necessarily have a ton of bend. Like I want they're going to get stronger and faster from bringing that outside outside shoulder so so you want to draw that inside front inside front but underneath your stirrup basically yes yeah, so, yeah exactly to allow them to then step yeah step yeah out. And you want them over here and it's what for me mm. this is for me and maybe for yeah. you too i want that that uh, new the new inside foot mm -hmm. be back underneath my stirrup and hopefully out they learn to get along out there mm -hmm. but i use my outside rein to block that outside shoulder from going forward. Yes. And I want it to go lateral. Yep. Okay. And what is very important to me is getting a lower inside jaw. Okay. Which is what I get on my post. It's the lower inside jaw where they will accept it and be quiet about it and and unequivocally respond to it. Mm -hmm. So if, if I've got a young horse that I'm turning or an older horse I'm going to correct or whatever, mm -hmm. I use that inside rein to correct that inside jaw. But the outside rein is what stops the outside shoulder from going forward and it brings you across the back. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. You know, it's real, to me it's simple. Yeah. And if you get down a long time ago, long time ago, I used to, if I was having trouble with a horse, I'd get down on my hands and knees. I'd go in the bathroom and lock the door <laughs> and get on my hands and knees. And, and that's how I got Sorry, on the figure out. So if they're going, if they're like going back this way, you they have to draw this one back under them first. No, if you're going, if you're spinning to the left, that would be spinning to the left. It's spinning, it's spinning to the right. That is yeah. right. Yeah, I don't care where you're at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Australia is below the equator. It might so, spin the other so way. Yeah. In this way, I want to draw this one back. No, draw this one. Yeah, back. the yeah. inside leg back, and then so I can yes. step across. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's not, and and myself, if I'm not careful, I'll get my horse too deep mm -hmm. in the turn. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want them too deep. I, I want them bowed. I don't want them bowed up, but I want them rounded in the back, and I want them as quiet as possible. The quieter my horses are, the prettier they'll turn. Mm -hmm. like Gunner up there, he turned plus one and a half both directions, but he learned to get that. And and when he came here, he had rock grinder marks all over him. Mm -hmm. and just spurred the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. And 
I never had a sperm. Never did. But I taught him the difference between black and white. I know. And it was, and he picked it up. And something else too. I don't. I don't put a lot of splint. We don't use a lot of splint boots. I don't wrap horses, Colts especially, because I want them to hit themselves. Mm, I want to get out. I want to get out of the way. Got to find a reason. And and that doesn't mean I'm going to ask a horse to turn a one and a half. No. With without covering. Right. Yeah. No, I'll cover a horse up when I get getting ready to start picking them to go to a horse. Mm. Sure, I'll cover them. To help them, you but, it, know? but it gives a lot of land, They've learned how to get out of the way. Yeah, it's a habit that's that they've made. That's, that's cool. Mm. Clint, I know you got to leave sharp yeah. at 12 o'clock. Yo, I, I do. I want to hold Yo, you a minute. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Clint. Just thoroughly enjoyed it. If I need a bodyguard, I'll call you. <laughs> Anytime. You're not going to call me. There's no sense. <laughs> I'll throw myself in front of you. That's about it. Yeah, that was great. Thank, uh, you. thank you, Clint. I really do appreciate this. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and Brendan O'Reilly. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Go Time Ranch so you can come work with us each day to learn, have fun, and be inspired. For information on bookings and merchandise, please visit www.gotimeranch.com.